0: Welcome to another episode of the Double Dupe Sports Podcast, episode 15 of season 5. And this is uh, not a, a significant milestone, but it is worth noting that, you know, this being episode 15, we've had at least 15 episodes in every single one of our seasons now, so that's really cool. And uh, we're recording here uh, on a uh, Tuesday afternoon in College Station, Texas. I'm your host, Tyler Dubnick. Please be joined once again, and as always, by my co-host and twin brother, Austin Dubnik. Austin, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great, Tyler. just like always, happy to be here with you once again uh, for another 15th episode, right, for the fifth time, uh, and so just really thrilled to be here right now, excited to dive into the content that we have on this episode once again, and how are you doing this afternoon? I'm um, doing pretty good, uh, you know, uh, we, just, we have a lot of good content to talk about, some really cool things happened over the last, you know, couple of days, over the last, you know, weekend and since we last recorded, so excited to get into a lot of that content uh, here on the 15th episode of Season 5. We had 15 episodes Season 1, we had 23, I think, in Season 2, 19 episodes in Season 3, we had 25 back in Season 4, and now here we are, 15 and counting as we get a little bit closer to 100, so before we get into the content of this episode, though, thanks for listening as always, uh, we, uh, if you haven't, you know, please subscribe rate and review if you haven't already on Spotify apple Podcasts, or wherever else you guys listen to our podcast really appreciate if you would do that if you haven't already Uh, and you can follow us on social media you can follow me on instagram and twitter at tdupe25 And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doopie underscore Austin and on Instagram at AU underscore dupey 10 So if you all do not follow us on those handles yet, please do, because once again, that is where we post uh, when the podcast is uploaded on uh, the different platforms and ready to be listened to. And that's where we'll always post any podcast related information. So if you don't follow us yet on those handles, please do. Absolutely. All right, we'll go ahead and get into the content of this episode. We will start with the NBA, which I know last week I mentioned that, that was the last time. Then I kind of went back on that almost immediately because I knew we were going to talk about the NBA draft a little bit, and this might be the last time we enter an episode with the NBA because there's not too much more moving forward that that you know really garners the attention to lead off the show. But uh, we'll recap the NBA draft here to start. Um, and it was a it was a great night for both of us. You know, for our two teams. You know, the Rockets uh, certainly did some great things, in your Spurs as well. We talked about you know last week when we looked at the draft order. We knew. It was each of us had three first-round picks, and so we were really excited for what was going to happen. And uh, I think a lot of people were excited about this draft. I think a lot of people came away a little bit surprised with how it shook out, namely because of what happened at the very top of the draft. Coming into Thursday night and up until the leadoff, you know, with all the NBA draft coverage up until the, you know actual draft night, I think a lot of people thought that Jabari Smith was going to be the number one overall draft pick to the Magic. But they did uh, not the unthinkable necessarily, but they you know threw a curveball at everybody and took Paolo Bancaro with the number one overall pick, the power forward from Duke, who of course was one of the three guys who you thought would be uh, one of the first three draft picks at least um, and so they but I don't, I don't think he actually worked out with them I think he had conversations with them before but I don't think people were expecting them to take him now of course he's a great player uh, was really terrific at Duke great size and there's some questions with his defense you know on defense I think for him but you know good size can rebound the basketball and certainly a great score and played really well um, in the NCAA tournament as well obviously with coach K and it did a lot of great things for Duke they had a lot of talent on that team and he was a big part of that. Yeah, definitely. I feel like the Magic kind of switched gears late, uh, potentially, but I remember keeping up with it a little bit, and then all of a sudden, you know, hearing uh, as the draft was approaching that all of a sudden the uh, Magic were looking at Bankero, and he was a real, realistic possibility to go there, and then sure enough, that's what ended up happening. So uh, a great selection still for the Magic, and certainly they feel good about him and decided that that's where they wanted to go. With the second overall pick, we saw the Oklahoma City Thunder select Chet Holmgren, the power forward from Gonzaga. Uh, the, other, the second of those three guys that uh, we expected to Go in the top three, really talented player. Just got great, you know, just a great physical specimen. Really, just kind of the metrics and the things he offers in that regard. But he's great last year with Gonzaga. Did a lot of really good things, and just his size and the things he can do, and his agility and those types of things make him a really exciting prospect. And certainly, he's going to be adding to that terrific core uh, that the Thunder have. Especially as I think he gets older and kind of fills out that body a little bit more. I think he's going to be a really good player for the Thunder. So it's exciting for them. Yeah, quite the contrast to some extent between Bancaro at the top and then Holmgren. You know, I think people were talking about Paolo Bancaro having probably the most NBA-ready body because he's like I think 250 pounds, and you know, obviously he has a lot of uh, you know, length as well. he's like 6'10", so he's a big guy. You know, kind of ready to you know, you know kind of be physical inside. Chet Holmgren, of course, was you know a center there at Gonzaga and a guy who's you know versatile and can spread the floor as well. in terms of where he lines up, you know, positionally being like seven feet tall, whatever it is, but being kind of skinny. Of course, like you said, he'll grow into that body, you would think, and. Uh, and continue to develop. Certainly, a guy who has a bunch of talent. It can do a lot of different things. You talk about point centers now, nowadays. I think he's a guy who can certainly uh, be a very versatile asset for the Thunder. And like you said, they have a good young core, and they're you know part they've been rebuilding for a little while now. And they certainly did a lot in this draft. And that was the first of I think four draft picks that they had within in the first 34 picks. So they did a lot of great things. And then third overall, Jabari Smith Jr. drafted by my Houston Rockets, the power forward from Auburn. Super excited to get Jabari Smith. I was really pumped. I knew that we had the third overall pick. You know, once the lottery came out, that I knew we were going to get one of these three guys. And so for me all along, I thought it was going to be Paolo Van I think a lot of people were expecting us to take him. Of course, he got taken number one overall. And so I was, I was hoping for Jabari over Chet. But of course, it wasn't up to us, and so whenever the Thunder took Chet Holmgren, I knew we were going to get Jabari Smith, and I was super excited about it. And so when he officially, you know, got his name called, I was super pumped because I mean, this is a guy who I got to watch, you know, in the SEC quite a bit because I watched quite a bit of basketball. And of course, watching the Aggies, but watch plenty of SEC basketball. And we saw him in the NCAA tournament, we saw him in the SEC tournament, we beat him in the SEC tournament. The Aggies did when we lost to him in the regular season, but a guy who certainly has so much talent, um, can score the basketball. One of the great, uh, one of the best defenders in this draft, which I think is really important because the Rockets, you know, we obviously a young group. You know, lost a lot of games the last two years. Uh, we haven't been able to finish games. We've you know been blown out quite a bit because our defense has been so bad. And Jabari Smith is a guy who, you know, 6'10", can you know defend one through five and uh, certainly was one of the best defenders uh, on that Auburn team. And I think coming into this, I've heard a lot about you know, how, great, how great of a defender he's going to be at the, at the next level. So that's really important for me and, and for us and we're super excited to have him alongside Jalen Green now. You know, we needed somebody in the front court. We just traded Christian Wood so we knew that forward was going to be an ideal place for us to go and we were able to get Jabari Smith, which is great. You can score the basketball can suddenly rebound it with that size there's just so much upside with Jabari Smith so talented and so young still Uh, there's just so much excitement I think for us in Houston after we're able to get him on board and, and another centerpiece for this young core that we're building that was definitely a really exciting pick for you and your Rockets. Certainly, Jabari Smith is just extremely talented and was a guy who, like we thought, might be the first overall pick coming into the night, and ends up being the third overall pick. But just really exciting uh, for your Rockets as they are trying to get things going and just another great piece of that young core. So it's really exciting for you. Uh, the next couple of picks here were a couple of Big Ten prospects. Keegan Murray was drafted uh, by the Sacramento Kings. The power forward from Iowa who was terrific last year for the Hawkeyes as they were able to win the Big Ten tournament, as we know, and they were, uh, you know, a first on exit in the uh, NCAA tournament but he was a terrific player last year really exciting stuff for the Kings and with the fifth overall pick the uh, Detroit Pistons like the Jaden Ivey, the point guard from Purdue and we know how good he was last year for the Boilermakers as they were able to make a good run late into the NCAA tournament and we certainly knew it was gonna be an exciting prospect coming into this draft and he gets taken by the Pistons So I know people have said that they had a really good draft and he was the first part of that. Yeah, a lot of great uh, reviews for the for the Pistons, and this was a big part of that. Obviously, I think most people thought that Jaden Ivey was going to be taken fourth overall. He's the fourth best player in the draft. The Kings decided to go with Murray instead, which is somewhat interesting. But we'll see how that pans out. But yeah, you have to be excited if you're a Pistons fan to have Jaden Ivey. And, of course, they drafted, you know, Cade Cunningham last year, number one overall. And so, uh, you know, a- Ivy adds a lot of explosiveness to this team. Uh, Kate Cunningham was great last year in his rookie season. The guys only going to continue to get better. And so you have to be really excited if you're a Pistons fan to have that duo in the backcourt and certainly have a really young uh, pairing right there, a chance to be really dynamic in the backcourt there. So really exciting stuff for the Pistons. And, again, they did some other things in the draft we're going to talk about here in a moment. But um, at the sixth overall pick, uh, the Indiana Pacers, took Benedict Mather in the small four from Arizona. Uh, and this was a guy who uh, I believe was Pac-12 player of the year last year for the Wildcats and of course they were one of the best teams in college basketball so uh, this is a guy who certainly has a lot of talent, certainly has a lot of confidence in himself Um, from something who's called post-draft what do you say about LeBron James and like he has to prove to me that he's better than me or something like that Uh, that's a little bit uh, ambitious but uh, hey, you gotta have that mindset I guess you're gonna be in the NBA so um, it'd be cool to see him with the Pacers they're certainly a team that kind of went through a little bit of a transition last year they're trying to find it again so uh, we'll see how he fits into the mold Uh, the Portland Trailblazers selected Shaden Sharp, a shooting guard from Kentucky and this is a guy who didn't play for the Wildcats, I don't think at all. He was a really high, uh, you know, prospect at, at coming out of high school. Uh, but Didn't really play at all for Kentucky. I think he might have been injured, and some things happened, and he just didn't even suit up. I don't think at all for them. So it, he's a very, you know, interesting player in this draft. There's certainly a lot of talent. Of course, he was drafted number, you know, top ten overall in the lottery for a reason. People are really excited about him. Uh, he went to college because he kind of had to, right? With a whole one, one, you have to go to college for at least a year, or there's other routes now. But of course, you can't go right out of high school anymore. And so it's probably a guy who coming out of high school could have, if that was an option didn't play a lot with Kentucky there's certainly a lot of excitement for him and uh, that's a team that obviously still you know they missed the playoffs last year for the first time in a while and so they're picking the lottery and we'll see how he fits in with Damian Lillard and uh, what they just traded for Jeremy Grant not long, uh, you know, a couple nights ago that, or, you know, right before the draft uh, the Trailblazers did so they're trying to kind of retool a little bit uh, at, eight, at the eighth overall selection, uh, the Portland, excuse me, the New Orleans Pelicans took Dyson Daniels, a point guard from the G League Ignite. This is a guy who I believe played in the uh, Rising Stars game and a really good defender. So uh, you already know the Pelicans are really good defensively with, uh, you know, Herb Jones and then, of course, Jose Alvarado and what he was doing in the postseason. And Dyson Daniels, I believe, is one of the best defenders in this draft from what I've heard. And certainly a guy who probably has a lot of room to develop still, but he was taken in the lottery again here in the top ten for a reason. Certainly a guy who has plenty of upside for a Pelicans team that has some legit players you know they they were a team that obviously made some noise in the postseason a little bit last year beating the Suns a couple of times in that first round playoff series they didn't even have Zion Williamson at all last year he should be healthy next year Uh, so CJ McCollum doing a lot of great things Brendan Ingram this is a good Pelicans team and they'll be excited to have Daniels in there yeah, definitely some good stuff there for those three teams and, you know, we see Dyson Daniels, the first guy from the G-League Ignite to, to be drafted, you know, the first guy, not out of college, but out of the G-League, and so it's pretty interesting, and we're seeing more guys take that route in the past couple of years, and certainly it paid off for Daniels getting drafted in the top ten here by the Pelicans. Uh, next up here, with the ninth overall pick my San Antonio Spurs, selected Jeremy Sohan, the power forward from Baylor, a guy who might have been a little bit of a reach at this point, but I think was still a first-round talent, an exciting player here, really terrific defensively, did a lot of great things for the Baylor Bears, and his time there and they were a terrific team uh, during his tenure obviously when they won the national championship not this past year but the year before that and they were also still really successful last year and I think he was a big part of that so that was an exciting selection for us even though I think we probably could have maybe drafted him with a couple with one of our other picks you know at the same time I think we must have really liked him and really felt like he fits our, our culture well and fits the team well and so I'm excited to have him in here and help accelerate this rebuild uh, with the 10th overall pick, the Washington Wizards selected Johnny Davis, the shooting guard from Wisconsin, who we knew was a one of the more talented players in this draft, and was certainly a guy who we thought could go in the top 10, or people thought was going to be going in the top 10. Uh, was terrific last year for the Badgers, who were a great team, obviously, even though they fell short ultimately in the NCAA tournament. But they had a great year, and he was you know, their best player. It was just so good offensively for them, and certainly an exciting player uh, to to watch going forward. And with the number, with the and with the 11th overall pick, the New York Knicks selected Usman Jang from the New Zealand Breakers, the Frenchman, and he ends up going to the Thunder after this because the Knicks had the pick, but they traded the draft rights to the Thunder. And so Jang will be going to Oklahoma City uh, and joining that young group, uh, who we talked about earlier. The Thunder drafted uh, Chet Holmgren with the second overall pick, and now they get Jang in there as well with the 11th overall pick. And so they just, you know, we know that they've had this incredible uh, Sam Presti, their general manager, has been, you know, just over the past handful of years they traded so many uh players and traded so many picks and stuff to get uh, just a massive amount of first round picks over the next several years and I know that we've heard Adrian Wojnarowski on ESPN call it, like this grand experiment that Sam Presti has been doing with the Thunder and so we know how much uh stake they have in the draft you know this year and then going forward and now they add Jang with Holmgren and they had some other picks later on too and they're just going to continue to try to add young players and get these get these guys to come up together and hopefully build something there. Yeah, definitely. You have to, you know, it's exciting to watch. At least it'll be. I guess it is a good point. It's kind of it's an experiment a little bit because I don't know if we've seen this kind of a rebuild before. But they're certainly, you know, not shying away from the draft. The kind of potential they can find out here. I want to say one thing about Johnny Davis too. Really good rebounder. So uh, you know, obviously, uh, you mentioned being a top ten pick, great scorer, but also a great rebounder there with the Badgers and had an outstanding season. I don't know if it was a breakout season last year for him, but certainly took a next step last year. and We'll see what kind of step he can take moving forward now in the NBA. The twelfth overall pick belonged to the Oklahoma City Thunders. So actually Pulled in back-to-back draft picks here as they took Jalen Williams, a shooting guard from Santa Clara. Uh, this is a guy who, um, you know, uh, i was almost gonna say like Santa Clara. I don't think ha- they've had a lot of draft picks uh, in their you know school's history. I don't think so. Probably one of the higher uh, drafted players out of Santa Clara, and certainly uh, someone that the Thunder see a lot of potential in. And so we see them kind of taking you know a shooting guard here. So they went to the front court. Their first two selections they were able to get in. Now they go over the back court and just kind of continue to build a young group of players. Uh, the 13th overall pick uh, belonged to the Charlotte Hornets. They took. Jaylen Jalen Durant the center from Memphis, but his draft rights were traded to the Pistons. Uh, all kind of confusing there for a little bit in, that, in the middle of the draft there with uh, Kimmel Walker actually being traded from the Knicks to the Pistons in that trade as well. And the Pistons are going to work to you know get a buyout done with Kimmel Walker and let him be a free agent. So all kind of crazy. You know, the Knicks fans were losing their minds and everything kind of settled at the end. They had to figure that all out because the Knicks had a really weird draft and I do not think they drafted anybody, actually. That's how strange it was. But um, as for the you know, Pistons bringing in Jalen Durant that's the, the other, you know, the biggest, uh, the second piece of that really exciting draft they were able to pull in with of course Jade ivy we mentioned earlier but Duran was a guy who you know really raw prospect for the most part or at least i mean in terms of like he was a highly rated high school prospect going to memphis did a lot of great things with them but i think there's still a lot of room to improve probably for him and certainly there's a bunch of talent there a bunch of potential i think they're really excited to bring him into the building and so and we'll see how he fits in with that young group that they're building up there. Of course, mentioned the backcourt earlier. Now he goes in there and could be a centerpiece. Uh, it's, it's pretty exciting for them. I think the Pistons are really pumped to have him uh, joining this this draft class. 14th uh, overall pick belonged to the Cleveland Cavaliers. They took Ochai. Uh, excuse me. They took Ochai Gabaji, the small four from Kansas. Of course, the national champion, the most uh, most outstanding player in the final four there and in the national championship for the uh, Kansas Jayhawks, who of course won it all this year and such a great player for them for years. Um, he. was was a staple of that Jayhawks lineup and last year of course he was a senior he was outstanding one of the best players on their team it was at times he struggled in the tournament but or at least down the stretch but I know obviously like I said most outstanding player in the final four was really great for them uh, in that semifinal game especially but just a guy who can score the basketball for sure pretty good defender at least you know you can get in the passing lanes and uh, I mean this is a guy who's going to contribute for sure and uh, they're, they're still a pretty young group the Cleveland Cavaliers and of course they, they overachieved a little bit last year and we know they were really good for the first half of the season or whatever and they kind of fell off and they lost in the playing game but But uh, I think they'll be excited to have him in the building. Yeah, that's definitely a really exciting pick for the Cavaliers. And to get a guy who's got that championship pedigree, you know, and playing for Kansas over the years, just really a quality pick there. And, those three picks for those teams you just mentioned, those were good ones for sure. As we move forward now, at the halfway point of the first round, and of course we're just covering the first round here on the podcast, uh, but with the 15th overall pick the Charlotte Hornets selected, Mark Williams, uh, the center from Duke, who was part of that Duke squad that was able to get to the final four and he was terrific for them this past year and you know was just one of uh, several Duke players drafted here in the first round, the next of which right here with the 16th overall pick is A.J. Griffin, the small four from Duke, was drafted by the Atlanta Hawks, and so we have back-to-back Duke Blue Devils getting drafted here in the middle of the first round two guys who were just so good last year uh, especially down the stretch you know we got to watch a lot of Duke in the NCAA tournament as they really you know were able to go a long ways and ultimately came up short but those two guys were a big part of it they were terrific for Duke and they're exciting uh, additions for the Hornets and Hawks respectively and so it's going to be fun to see how those guys play going forward for those teams and then the next one here the Houston Rockets I'll let you talk about this one Yeah, I could probably take the next couple of picks before I turn it back to you with kind of how this shakes out, but yeah, the Rockets' second pick in this first round 17 overall, the Rockets took Tari Eason, a small forward from LSU This guy got to watch in person when Tigers played the Aggies here at Reed Arena and I mean, he just dominated us in that game I mean, uh, he was a beast on the glass uh, really good inside scoring the basketball and this is a guy who is, I think, by a lot of people's expectations, probably the best defender in this draft, so he's an absolute menace on that end of the floor, a really aggressive player and took a big step forward last year, he was a first year in college he was at Cincinnati and didn't really do a whole lot and then transferred LSU and just became one of their best players on their team he was first team all SEC uh, actually coming off the bench as the sixth man of the year so he's going to come off the bench for us we would think and he's used to that role already which is good so gonna be a really good defender again our defense was horrible last year it's been really bad in the last couple of years adding Jabari Smith that third overall pick and adding Tari Eason immediately makes our defense a whole lot better so and he also has potential to score the ball as well you know he's a decent three-point shooter and can rebound it as well he's got great size so I'm really excited about Tari Easton. I think a lot of people were, you know, maybe the only thing that I think I saw some people, maybe we, I don't want to say that we reached on him or anything like that, but maybe he could have taken him with a 29th overall pick that we ended up having later on, but I mean, that's not, I mean, I would would say that I'm fine with us taking him in 17, because I know he's going to make us better, and he's a great fit for us already, so if you, like you were talking about earlier with Sohan, like if he fits the team, fits the culture, fits the the style of how you want to play the game, like just go get him right now, and so that was exciting for us. That's uh, so the 18th overall pick. The Chicago Bulls selected Dalen Terry, a point guard from Arizona. I think he was a great. I think he was a on, on the one of the best defenders in the Pac-12. Is what I heard from after they made this selection. So the Bulls certainly they were really bad defensively last year too. Of course, part of that was because of injuries, right? Lonzo Ball was out for a little while and pretty much the entire rest of the season. Alex Caruso missed a lot of time and that really hurt their defense. Dalen Terry is a really good defender. Should help them in that regard. And the 19th overall pick was. Uh, uh, Jake LaRavia, a power forward from Wake Forest. He was drafted by the Minnesota Timberwolves, but his draft rights would go to the Memphis Grizzlies. He was a guy who certainly could score the basketball for Wake Forest. They had a pretty good season last year. Uh, we actually got to see him in person as well when they came here for the NIT. So uh, we'll see. The Grizzlies, uh, they're obviously a really talented group, a really young group, and they have a lot of, uh, you know, they're pretty full roster-wise. They don't you know, shy away from using their depth, and so we'll see how he fits in. Yeah, definitely some good selections there for those three teams. And we did see Laravia in person. He was pretty good for the most part. So it was a good addition for the Grizzlies. And next up here with the 20th overall pick, my San Antonio Spurs with our second first round selection took Malachi Branham, the shooting guard from Ohio State, which I'm really excited about because I know that I was watching it and Jay, By- Jay Byless, uh, the of course, the great college basketball analyst uh, for ESPN who was covering the draft, obviously, was just raving about this pick and just had so many great things to say about Branham and how good he, think he, how good he thinks he can be. You know, it's a guy who was only a freshman last year and so he's right away coming into the draft and I think that, you know, if he would have stood around for another year, he could have been a top 10 pick next year, probably. And, you know, Jay Walsh kept on saying so many good things about him and just thinks he's got such great potential and his ceiling is really high and just a lot of potential there for him to continue to grow and get better. And I think it's a really exciting pick for us, you know, just drafting a guy with incredible potential. And that's kind of what you want to see sometimes here, maybe in the middle of the first round, kind of later first round, getting guys who you think have high ceilings, you can bring them in there and hopefully, you know, get things straightened out and he can be even better. But he was terrific last year for the Buckeyes. And so I'm excited about that one. I think he could be really good for us. Uh, next up here at the 21st overall pick, uh, the uh, the Denver Nuggets selected Christian Brown, the shooting guard from Kansas. So another Kansas Jayhawk going off here. We know how good he was last year for the Jayhawks as he was able to be, a, as he was a big part of them winning the national championship. I know you talked about him and you keep saying he's kind of, he's kind of a glue guy for them. Just a great defender, great shooter, providing great energy for the Jayhawks this past season. And he goes to the Denver Nuggets, a team that, you know, is, has a chance next year to really be good. They were already really good this past year, despite not having a uh, uh, and not having Jamal Murray for the entire season. And then also, you know, being without um, Michael, is it Michael Porter Jr. right? Not having him for most of the season, too. And so hopefully they can get those guys back and healthy. And so, in, well, along with Jokic, and then you have a guy like Christian Brown, they add here in the first shot. it could be a good presence off the bench. And so this is a quality team that, you know, with this election, can get even better going forward. And then one more pick for me before I hand it back to you. With the 22nd overall pick, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies selected Walker Kessler, the big center from Auburn, who led the league, who led the nation in blocks last year, was just amazing for that uh, Auburn Tiger team uh, who were so great last year but he was drafted by the Grizzlies but he will be going to the Timberwolves as draft rights were traded to Minnesota so now he's going to join the Timberwolves who last year were going to make the playoffs the first time in a long time and had a great year and super excited for then their franchise was, is on a good trajectory right now for the most part now they add Kessler in there to help out to kind of join that young group of guys they have there or some of the young guys that they have there already and so ultimately this is a good selection for them to help out defensively like I said he led the nation in blocks last year and was just a menace I know when the Aggies played Auburn I mean this guy was blocking everything and so he's an amazing player great defender was really terrific last year for Auburn and now he goes to the Timberwolves and that should be fun for them yeah, definitely. Um, one thing I'll say about Brown, he's also a good rebounder, so it's, uh, you know, obviously it's important to rebound the basketball. I always, I always like to look at that, and he had a double-double in the National Championship game, I believe, so uh, a guy who can definitely do a lot of different things, and then yeah, Kessler it will be interesting to see how he fits in. I feel like he's probably more of an old-school center, but at the same time, there's some potential there for him to uh, establish more of a jump shot and be a good player for them. The 23rd overall pick uh, went to the Philadelphia 76ers David Roddy, a power four from Colorado State, but his draft rights are actually traded to the Memphis Grizzlies, so uh, that was was a trade that sent the Anthony Melton to the 76ers, uh, so a pretty interesting little transaction there. We'll see how that works out. Uh, I don't know a lot about Roddy, but I believe he was the best player on that Colorado State team that was a six seed. I believe in the NCAA tournament, they lost in the first round, but uh, certainly a guy who has the potential. And the Grizzlies again trying to add some depth. It felt like they had quite a bit of. It actually feels like they acquired quite a bit of talent in this draft, and we're not really sure exactly how they're all going to fit in. There might be more, you know, depth purposes, but there's nothing wrong with having a lot of guys who could contribute. 24th overall pick went to the Milwaukee Bucks and it was Marjon Beauchamp sh- uh, shooting guard from G League Ignite I think he was also in that Rising Stars game if I recall correctly so um, certainly someone who has the potential again the second G League Ignite guy we've seen uh, drafted you know with uh, Dyson Daniels earlier who we mentioned and also I think like the fourth last two years you have to think about Jalen Green last year to my Rockets and then John DeCaminga last year to the Warriors those guys all part of the G League Ignite again there's more avenues now for people to get to the NBA and that's certainly one of them so we'll see you guys how he fits into a very, you know, experienced and talented Milwaukee Bucks team. Yeah, definitely. The second of two players that were taken from the G League, Ignite. So we'll see how he fits in with Milwaukee. With the 25th overall pick, my San Antonio Spurs had our last first-round selection in what was the first year that the Spurs have ever had three first-round picks. They selected Blake Wesley, the shooting guard from Notre Dame. So this is a pretty exciting one for us as well. So we end up taking you know three guards in this draft, which is a little bit interesting, especially, or two guards, and then of course so hands a power forward. But it was a little bit interesting still we took a couple of guards because I know we, I was thinking and some of my buddies were thinking that we might try to look more into like the front court and working in that area since we already have a number of guards here. And certainly after this draft, taking a couple of guards here in the first round, there are, have been increasing trade rumors surrounding DeJounte Murray, which is unfortunate for me because I would hate to see him go and I don't want us to trade him. But certainly this was kind of an interesting pick that kind of went into that. But Wesley was good last year for Notre Dame. Uh, and what you know they made a, a pretty decent run in the NCAA tournament last year, so I was able to watch them a little bit and certainly we'll see kind of what role he has here. But ultimately, I, I believe in the organization and the path. And I feel like all three of these guys we drafted are going to be good additions for this team as we can continue to go through this rebuild after all those years of success you know we've had we've been humbled over the past handful of years and i haven't been as good but hopefully all three of these guys can come in here and help out and be productive and we can start to see kind of light at the end of the tunnel of this rebuild and start to get become a more competitive team once again and because we've been in the play in the past couple of years but again we're the 10c both times and lost in the first playing games so haven't been in the playoffs in the past, for the past couple of years and so hopefully these guys can come in here and be impactful in whatever role they have With the 26th overall pick, the Dallas Mavericks selected Wendell Moore Jr., and then his draft rights were traded to the Minnesota Timberwolves, and so that's where he will be playing. Of course, he was uh, another prospect from Duke, a small forward with the Blue Devils, and today had four players selected in the first round of this year's draft, and that makes sense considering how good they were this past season. All those guys have incredible potential, so that was a good selection uh, for the Mavericks, and of course he goes to the Timberwolves afterwards. And then finally here for me, after I let, I have one more pick to talk about, here before let tower wrap up the final three but we saw the Miami Heat select Nikola Jovic with the 27th overall pick uh, from Mega Mozart in Serbia small forward and it's just the craziest thing that his name is so close to of course a two-time MVP Nikola Jokic with the Nuggets but this is Nikola Jovic drafted by the Heat uh, we didn't see a lot of international prospects selected in the first round of this year's draft we did have a couple of them we talked about Usman Dang, uh, Usman Jang earlier uh, going to the Thunder from the Knicks and we also have Nikola Jovic here and so we'll see what happens uh with here with his role i know that obviously the heat were really good last year made to the eastern conference finals came up just short of the nba finals i think he can have a, a good role with them and can be impactful and certainly there's a lot of potential there for him to get better as he comes over to the states now yeah definitely and they go back to real fast to win Moore junior being that fourth duke player i think that tied an all-time nba record i think for uh excuse me, I think with uh, Kentucky uh, for, for first round draft picks from one school. Uh, I think if I, if my memory serves correctly, uh, i don't take a screenshot or a picture of this stat, but I believe I saw that. So, and that Duke team was really good and a lot of those guys left. We'll see what they look like next year. No Coach K. A lot of these guys in the NBA now, we'll see what kind of team Duke puts together. I'm sure they're doing fine with recruiting and all that, but it'll be interesting to see uh, how that works. But as I finish up here, the 28th overall pick belonged to the NBA champion Golden State Warriors and they selected Patrick Baldwin Jr., a small forward from Milwaukee. Uh, so, we'll see what kind of role he has. I think I read an article a little while ago. I uh, was talking about he was probably one of a, a draft pick that's kind of like flying under the radar that could be a really good a player. So we'll see exactly how they fit in. The Warriors, of course, they've won all these championships. A lot of that has been the strength of how well they've drafted. So we'll see if this is going to be another player that can contribute for them moving forward that's the 29th overall selection Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies took Ty Ty Washington Jr. at point guard from Kentucky and his draft rights went to my Houston Rockets so happy to have Ty Ty Washington in the building I know he's a guy who I got to watch again being the SEC I got I mean all three of these draft picks were for us uh, were SEC players and so I got to watch quite a bit of them and got to familiarize myself with who they were and uh, you know Ty Washington Washington's a guy who I think probably has to work on a three point shooting a little bit but he's a good you know shooter in terms of floaters and the mid-range game and kind of getting inside and doing it that way and uh, he's guy who I think had like 17 assists in a game against, uh, God, I can't remember who they were playing, but uh, I remember they, they mentioned that he had like, it was like a Kentucky record for a single game, uh, 17 assists, so uh, pretty remarkable stuff. I think it was an SEC game, so certainly a guy who's a bunch of talent. He was drafted at 29th overall, but I think a lot of people were saying he could be a steal on that. Uh, a lot of people haven't ranked in their top 20. He could have been like our 17th overall draft pick, but he fell all the way down to 29, which is exciting because I think there's a lot of potential there for us to develop him, and he can be a nice player coming off the bench early on, and we'll see how many, how many minutes he gets, but certainly a guy who has a bunch of talent was a highly rated high school prospect, played for John Calipari, Kentucky. So there's a lot of things you like about that. So I'm excited to have him. And I really love the draft hall we had. Again, I think a lot of people were excited about what we were able to do here, we had four first-round draft picks last year. We had three this year. It was all said and done. And all these guys think are, are going to contribute both short-term and long-term in different respects and how that all pans out. But Really exciting stuff for us in Houston is this rebuild starts to you know, escalate a little bit quicker and, uh, and really get going. And The last pick in the first round belonged to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And they s- selected Peyton Watson, a small four from UCLA, but his draft rights were traded to the Denver Nuggets. I think that was the Jermichael Green transaction that happened uh, about a week before the draft or whatever it was uh, that gave them the opportunity to make to, to pull in this draft pick. And so the Nuggets get Peyton Watson, a small four from UCLA. Not exactly sure what kind of role he's going to have, but you mentioned the Nuggets earlier and you did a good job talking about kind of where they are right now. They drafted Christian Browns. So they had a couple of first round picks and certainly got some guys who could contribute. And the biggest thing for them is they can get healthy. They can get back to being a competitive team that, you know, uh, certainly has the potential to do some great things that they can just, you know, find that consistency and stay healthy. And uh, you know, certainly with the MVP, the you know, two time MVP, Nikola Jokic, uh, there's certainly a lot of potential for that team to, uh, you know, reach a higher so than the than what, than, uh, excuse me, than what they've done over the last, you know, a couple of years, so. That rounds out the first round, of the NBA draft. We're not going to talk about the second round uh, because, I mean, we just don't really. I think even towards the end of the first round, we were kind of, you know, weren't really exactly sure what kind of roles these guys were going to fit with their teams. And I think a lot of the second round draft picks, I'm not really familiar with some of them. You know, their names are familiar to some extent, but there's not a lot to talk about out there. And uh, the second round draft picks, not really sure exactly if they're going to stick or not, or exactly what kind of role they're going to have. If some of them maybe start in the G League. Who knows? Uh, and there were some more international prospects. I think there was a little bit more of a run on international prospects down the stretch in the second round, but I think we covered. Uh, all we needed to cover for the NBA job I think we probably talked about longer than we thought we were going to uh, but we covered the first round front to back and uh, certainly a lot of exciting stuff a lot of young players making their dreams come true and they get a chance to go compete um, in the summer league and so we'll we'll kind of make that transition unless there's something else you need to say yeah, I just want to say that, you know, obviously you know, we're not covering round two, but that doesn't mean that it's just like we're disregarding it. I mean, there are some talented players over the years who have come from the second round and been really good players, like Nikola Jokic, who was a second round draft pick all those years ago for the Nuggets, and so there are great players that are drafted in the second round, and we, uh, certainly we, we recognize that, but we don't really have the time to go through it, especially when we were the round one pretty extensively, and like you said, probably more than we had envisioned initially, and so we feel good about what we did here going through the first round, and you know, as far as the second round uh, is concerned, there were some notable players selected there some guys that i recognize a little bit but there's also a lot of guys that i don't recognize and you know we'll see who kind of comes out of this stick around it ends up being a gym and ends up being an impactful player for their team going forward but uh, for us we just wanted to cover the first shot i think we did that really well yeah, that was a good point by you. Definitely don't want to disrespect them by any means. That's not what we're doing here. We just don't really feel like we have the, you know, we don't feel like we're in a position to talk about the second round. So we'll leave it at that and uh, finish up with the NBA. Just looking ahead to the NBA offseason schedule. So I mentioned last week, NBA free agency starts on Thursday, 5 p.m. Uh, Central. Uh, it's either, I think it might be either 5 or 6 p.m. Eastern time. But uh, certainly negotiations will start. I don't think it's a really high highly rated, you know, uh, NBA free agent class. I, there's a few big names that could be out there, and we'll see exactly what ends up happening. But uh uh, certainly more of the sign and trade type things what we've seen lately. So I mean the NBA agency is usually pretty crazy, but I don't know if we're going to see a crazy one this time around. But hey, we'll see what happens. Certainly there's some potential for some players to move around, and uh, we'll see if there's any kind of big landscape-changing moves that end up happening. How much money actually gets thrown around, um, and then uh, this, the summer league, like I said, so a lot of these young guys are going to get a chance to compete. In the summer league there in Las Vegas from July 7th to the 17th. I'm looking forward to watching that because as a Rockets fan, we have been on TV like at all lately the last couple of years because no one wants To watch us because we've been so bad. But in the Summer League, certainly we have a lot of young players, and people do want to watch those guys, especially me being a Rockets fan. So I know we're going to be on TV a number of times. I think the first four games, I believe it is, I'm not sure exactly what the the tournament or how exactly it works, but I know that we've got a couple of games lined up, and I'm looking forward to trying to watch some of that because I always enjoy watching the young guys compete and uh, get a first look at them against some of their peers. They're kind of similar in terms of where they're at in their NBA experience. So that should be fun, a great opportunity for all these guys, and a great opportunity for all of us to see them uh, with their new teams for the first first time so that's all we have for the NBA. We'll go ahead and move on now to Major League Baseball. We're just going to cover news and notes today again, uh, and so we'll make this a quick transition. And we'll start with last Wednesday, June 22nd, um, and uh, you know we recorded last Wednesday, but we didn't have the notes lined up yet. So we have a we have a number of notes from last Wednesday. Pretty exciting stuff happened that night in MLB after we got done recording. Um, and certainly uh, we'll start with uh, Shohei Ohtani, who I put on my nose. Shohei Ohtani, you are ridiculous because uh, you know Shohei Ohtani. We all know how great he is, right? But I don't know if we truly ever will but appreciate what he's doing right now until maybe his career is over because this is just, we've never seen anything like this before but he had 8 RBI on Tuesday night and what ended up being a loss for the Angels had a couple of three-run home runs and then he struck out 13 batters on Wednesday night in a win against the Royals and so he became the only, the only player to ever record 8 plus RBI as a batter in a game and then 13 plus strikeouts as a pitcher in a game uh, since RBI became an official stab back in 1920 and he did it on a back-to-back night so it's just unbelievable. Yeah, and it was just an incredible uh, performance from Otani in back-to-back games. Like you said, no one had ever done that in the history of MLB, or at least since 1920, and then to do it on back-to-back nights is even more insane. Uh, It kind of reminds me a little bit about the immaculate inning thing, the the two immaculate innings in the same game. You know, it's kind of like... Taking a little bit a step further that he did it on back to back days. And uh, just really remarkable. Like he said, he had the two three run home runs on Tuesday night, even though they lost the game in the end because they just could not pitch that night. But he did tie the game up late and send it to extra innings and that was really exciting. Then he came back the next night uh, in the final game of a three game series against the Royals, the team that the Angels should have been able to win the series against, but they lost the first two games of the series. And I think he understood coming in that night that he had to do everything he could on the mound to help them win that game and salvage that series, and he went out there and struck out thirteen over eight scoreless innings or yeah I think it was eight scoreless and so he was just phenomenal uh just an incredible performance by Otani and it was awesome to see him do so well uh on Tuesday and Wednesday especially for me because as you guys know I have him on my fantasy team and he was so awesome last week that he actually ended up accounting for just over 20 percent of my entire team's points last week which is incredible uh from to score as many points as they did and so that was cool for me but just as a baseball fan it was awesome to see him do that last week and like you said I don't I still think sometimes we don't appreciate uh how good he is and I think sometimes that comes with him playing on the west coast and not always getting a lot of publicity still and i think also coming off of last year where he was so amazing and won the mvp and i think now people were kind of like maybe getting a little more used to it but i think some it's always good to sit back and say wow what this guy's doing right now is incredible and it's, it's just not normal and he's just an incredible player and it's fun to watch yeah, and I took a screenshot of uh, Paul Hemeticus on Twitter, at Paul Himbo, and Ken Rosenall retweeted him and said, you know, Babe Ruth, Henry Aaron, of course Hank Aaron, Barry Bonds, and Albert Pujols have never had an RBI, they, they never had an 8-RBI game in their careers, uh, and then Lefty Grove, Catfish Hunter, Jack Morris, and Tom Glavin never had a 13-strikeout game in their career, those are all, you know, Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers, outstanding players in MLB history, and th- those guys never did those things, and Shohei Otani did both of those in consecutive days, and he put a little unicorn emoji at the bottom, and that was a nice way to end the tweet, because that that's exactly what it is. He's just—he's an absolute unicorn. It's just really remarkable stuff, and so just absolutely uh, amazing from Shohei Otani over the, that two-day stretch. Uh, we also had a, a cycle last Wednesday. Austin Hayes hit for the cycle for the Baltimore Orioles. The team again is playing better than people will give them credit for. I think people are starting to come around now to the O's playing really good baseball, only a few games below 500, which is crazy to say that here in late June, but they're hanging around a little bit. And uh, Austin Hayes has been a big part of that. He's a good player, a good young guy. It's a young team, and he's certainly one of the better players on that team. Uh, I think he has an infield single to get it going um, and then he had a home run um, a two-run shot I believe or I mean I guess it only really matter what what you know the two-run homer just a solo shot but he did hit a home run and then he had a triple off the wall and then it was actually a rain delay and then they came back out there to play which is somewhat surprising because it was still raining and then, and even in the rain he's able to get a double uh, in the left center to complete the cycle so he did it in only four at-bats all it took him was was the minimum of four and he did it in like six innings and it was the fourth cycle of the year so congrats to Austin Hayes really cool stuff for him yeah, that was an awesome performance by Austin Hayes, who is one of those young guys who's playing really well for the Orioles. Who, like you said, are playing better than people realize. And you, you, I think you're right. People are trying to notice it more. But I think you and I have been kind of paying attention to it for most of the year and saying these guys aren't that bad. They're playing really well. Their pitching's been terrific. Their offense is coming around, and they have good young players there. Uh, and Hayes is one of those guys. And like you said, he did it in four at bats, which is different than the other cycles we've seen this year. And I think it's actually kind of impressive that we've seen four cycles already. You know, and we're here in the middle in the late June, and you know we're like about halfway through the season now we're getting close to it and so it's pretty amazing we've had four cycles and but his was different that he did it in six innings and in four at-bats, and it didn't have to come down to like the last at-bat of the night, uh, although it ended up being last at-bat because the game was you know rained out and they ended up calling it, but uh, he could have had a couple more at-bats or at least one more if the game would have been a full nine innings. But, yeah, certainly impressive, and for him it didn't come down to the triple at the end, it was a double to, to wrap it up, but just really impressive that he was able to do that in four at-bats and just awesome to see for him and uh, for the Orioles, it's a great moment for a team that's playing good baseball this year and really having a, a quality season for what the expectations were coming into it definitely what if he I guess the only other thing he could have done was if the game could have kept going and inside the park home run that'd be like uh you know a cycle with an asterisk on it because who knows what that would even mean that would be incredible but uh really great stuff for him uh we saw Madison Bumgarner record his 2000th career strikeout uh, last Wednesday so uh, the great left-hander for so many years with the Giants now with the Diamondbacks and uh maybe a trade chip at the deadline certainly having a decent season not as good as he once was by any means but congrats to Mad Bum for reaching that milestone we saw Jordan Alvarez have a multi-home game for my Astros uh, last Wednesday again, and it went over the Mets and uh, it's uh, you know notable because it's multi-home run game history so he actually uh, tied, as I try to get the stat pulled up here, he tied Ralph Kiner and Gary Sanchez for the most multi-home run games in his first 300 games in MLB history and uh, it was actually only his 294th career game on uh, last Wednesday and so great stuff from on Alvarez who certainly has just had an unbelievable career so far right from when he got called up to the big leagues. He homered like a second game I think honestly or the fourth game, whatever it was And he's just been mashing ever since one rookie of the year that year in like 87 games and certainly an MVP candidate this year for what he's doing for my Astros. So love seeing that for Jordan. Uh, He's closing. He's getting close to 300 games and tonight or tomorrow might be his 300th career game. So hopefully he can can put himself all alone on that list. But uh, certainly great stuff and a win. And what was the sweep over the Mets last week? And they're playing the Mets again here this week. As we move over to Thursday, June 23rd, we saw Alex Wood record his 1,000th career strikeout, so another milestone for a Southpaw. And uh, Alex Wood, of course, he's moved around the league a little bit, with the Dodgers and the Reds, and he's you know, played with the Giants now for a little while, not as good as he once was. And certainly this was a start to forget for him. He actually got this done in a, a game where he went only like a, an inning and two-thirds, I think, or something. It was a really bad start for him against the Braves, but he did get that milestone, so I guess at least he's got that going for him. And then in that game we saw Kenley Jansen uh, go into a tie for 10th and all-tie. Uh, and on the all-time list for career saves. So he tied Jonathan Papelbon with his 369th career save. Um, and then actually he got his 370th on Saturday night and it went against his former team, the Dodgers. So somewhat fitting. And, of course, Kenley Jansen, one of the best closers of all time, now into the top 10 on the career saves list. Yeah, it's really great to see for Kenley Jansen to get in that top 10 all-time saves list. He certainly has been one of the best closers of all time and certainly of our generation. He was, he's right up there with uh, Craig Kimbrell and some other guys who have been the best of this generation. It's been great to watch him over the years. It's still a little bit, you know, we're getting more used to him in a Braves uniform now after being with the Dodgers for, you know, uh, like a very long time. that He was with Los Angeles, but we all know that they decided not to bring him back this year, which, you know, as we, as we stand here right now, I know that he blew the save a couple of nights ago against Los Angeles in the game they ended up losing. Uh, but for the most part, he's been really sharp this year and the Dodgers have had their own tr- struggles with with Kimbrough as their closer this year, so it's it's uh, it's kind of worked out uh, interestingly. Uh, but ultimately, Jansen's been great this year for the Braves, and they're playing good baseball. and He's been a big part of that, locking down games uh, for them this season, and certainly having another quality year this year, like he has for so many years. The Dodgers, and now getting to the top ten of saves all the time, is a great accomplishment for Kinley Jansen. You know, I say the other day, I saw an ESPN that he was like one of 13 players to have like uh, 10 plus seasons, maybe of 20 or more saves, something like that, I think. And he his 20th on Saturday, I think. So, I mean, just the ultimate consistent closer for so long. And so great for him in that regard. Uh, we saw O'Neill Cruz continue to make some history. He, he joined a, a pretty small group of uh, pretty exclusive club here with uh, Dale, a- Dale Alexander back in 1929 with the Tigers and George Shuba in 1948 with, I believe, the Boston Bean Eaters, actually, I guess I'm, that's what the logo looks like um, as uh, players to you know he had six straight games the most consecutive games with an RBI to begin a career since 1920 so he's, you know obviously he's just got caught up recently but he did, had two, he did play two games last year and then got caught up recently and so he had recorded an RBI in six straight games to start his career which was you know in that group with those guys and I think it's I think that RBI streak ended now I don't think he's kept it going but still pretty remarkable stuff we'll have one more note on him later as we move over to Friday, June 24th, we had to recognize uh, pretty much the entire weekend too, not just Friday, but Freddie Freeman, who made his return to Atlanta. Of course, one of the best Braves of all time. Uh, very emotional and for good reason. You know, it's a, it was a really weird. It's it's still kind of like I think it's, you know, coming into the, the weekend that we knew was going to be emotional for him. Uh, they, did, they did play earlier this year, but that was in L.A. And now going back to Atlanta for the first time, Freddie Freeman was very emotional all day on Friday. He got great standing ovations every time he went to the play, at least those first at-bats of the night. Um, and so they really recepted him well on this that's why it's such a unique situation because it's almost like a divorce that neither side really wanted, you know? Freddie Freeman wanted to go back to the Braves, and it felt like they wanted to bring him back as well, but uh, for whatever reason, the contract didn't work out the way they wanted to, and then all of a sudden, the Braves traded for Matt Olson in the offseason, and they didn't even tell Freddie Freeman they were doing that uh, when they did it, and then they gave Matt Olsen a huge contract extension, and at that point, it was essentially like, yeah, we are moving on from Freddie Freeman, so he signs with the Dodgers, but like the relationship is still there. They still like have a mutual love for each other, so it's just really strange, um, and I know I saw like just today, actually, Freddie Freeman like fired his agent or something along those lines for maybe the free agent discussions didn't go the way they wanted to and I think I might have heard Carl Ravish say on ESPN the other day that you know the contract that he signed with the Dodgers was you know very similar to the one that the Braves offered him, but it's actually would be with the income taxes in California actually would be be making more money if he signed back with the Braves. So I don't know. Just it still feels like a just a, a sad situation because you see how emotionally he was coming back to Atlanta and how much that city meant to him and how much that organization meant to him and how much they loved him there as well. And then of course he got World Series ring, which was really cool for him. Uh, it's a big part of that, obviously. And so uh, just very emotional weekend. And and just very unique. I don't think anybody, I mean, obviously those fan bases and he he and that fan base won't forget that. And I think a lot of us around MLB who just, you know, respect Freddie Freeman for what he's done for so long. Uh, That was really uh, cool to see, but also kind of a little bit, you know, struggle some. Yeah, it was definitely uh, an interesting scene to watch, and you just really felt kind of not 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 even feel bad for Freddie Freeman, but obviously it was really emotional the entire time. And you just like you just know from watching him, you know, tear up so much and shed a lot of tears that how much he loved the city of Atlanta and loved being a Brave and loved supporting that that city and that organization who you know drafted him. And he was there for twelve years at the major league level and was in their farm system for three years before that. And so he's with the Braves organization for fifteen years, and you know really grew up from a you know a teenager to being a grown man and into his thirties now and just, you know, he just talks about how, you know, important the Braves organization was to him and then, you know, he was part of uh, kind of some tough years there for a little while in Atlanta before eventually were able to be really good and then ultimately won the World Series, but he just, so much time passed for him in his life when he was part of the Braves and so it's just, you know, he really wanted to continue to be there Uh, and then, you know, the offseason was really difficult with the way things just worked out where they weren't able to bring him back and then, you know, like you mentioned you know, trading for Matt Olson and signing him to that big contract without even telling Freeman that they were going to do that was really kind of a not it just kind of it it kind of just it makes me a little upset that they did it like that you know because I thought he deserved better and then he has to and then he ends up going with it to the Dodgers and uh, that's just the way it goes but seeing him this weekend you know how much he loved the Braves and loved that organization and loved the city and just really emotional the entire time I don't know if I've ever seen a a homecoming like that before where he was just so emotional on Friday and then you know during during the day of the press conference looking up to the game and then before the game getting his World Series ring and going through that process and then his first at-bat with the huge ovation and then And then he had to play two more games after that on Saturday and Sunday. And so I think uh, really an emotionally charged weekend for Freddie Freeman. And I think he was just happy to get through it because I knew that he knew it was going to be difficult for him. Uh, And it was just a lot of distractions outside of baseball because of the entire scene. But ultimately, you know, you you appreciate the uh, love for both sides and how much he loves Atlanta and how much I still love him. And ultimately, though, he's not with the Braves anymore. So the Dodgers, they took two of three in Atlanta. And that was a big series win for 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 Freeman's Dodgers over his former team. Yeah, definitely. The Sunday night game was kind of weird, and they had that blown save there, and he actually ended up having an RBI double in extra innings when we didn't know if that was going to be his last at-bat when he came up in the eighth inning, and so, yeah, I I think I said struggle some, which I'm not sure is actually a word, but it was cool to see, but like you said, it was also kind of a sad situation because it was just very emotional, but hey, it is what it is, Uh, definitely something that uh, was worth noting, even though it was kind of a little bit more of an informal note, something that I don't... Usually our notes are more stat-based, but we definitely wanted to mention that. We uh, also saw some pretty cool stuff on Friday night when, uh, you know, Austin Nola of the Padres and Aaron Nola of the Phillies—they faced each other before in, in the major leagues. Um, but I believe I believe Aaron Nola had never allowed Austin Nola to get a hit off of him. But Austin Nola able to get an RBI single against Aaron Nola on Friday against his uh, younger brother there, and that ended up being the actually the only run scored in the game. The Padres won one to nothing, with the only run being scored was an RBI single of uh, for a- Austin Nola against his younger. brother brother Aaron Nola so a little bit of a a brother a battle of the brothers there and the older brother got the benefit or was able to get the best of them that time. Yeah, that was awesome to see for, for uh, Austin to win that battle there with Aaron. You know, <laughs> certainly uh, it was awesome to see that. And they played a couple of different times in their career, like you mentioned. But for the most part, Aaron Nolan's kind of owned him, you know, because certainly Aaron Nolan's is one of the best pitchers in MLB. And so it's been, it's difficult for anybody to get a hit off of him when he's on his game. And he certainly has been good against his uh, older brother over the years and was doing good through his first two at-bats. But then Austin got the better of him and that third at-bat drove in the only run of the ball game and they win the game one to nothing. And so uh, that was cool see, obviously, you and I were brothers. We have three older brothers. And so it's always kind of cool when you have something like that going on, like two brothers, you know, competing at the highest level and something always fun to look at. And um, I'm happy that Austin got the better of Aaron that night. Were you so happy for Austin? Because you're Austin. You're fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm Austin. He's Austin. We shared the same name. And he's also the older brother. And I'm the older brother compared to you. And yeah, not by you know, three years, only 30 minutes. But yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I just feel like, you know, also because Aaron Nola had kind of gotten him pretty good over the, in their careers against each other. And it feels like Austin finally got one. He finally won a battle between the two of them. And that was good to see. Yeah, certainly. That's kind of like the underdog a little bit, you know. Certainly. So glad to note that as well. Kind of along with the, the Freddie Freeman one, a little bit more not stat based, just kind of like kind of cool to see those things. And then uh, last thing from Friday, June 24th, uh put Mike Trout officially owns the Mariners because we talked about how dominant he was against Seattle last week, uh, last weekend, but they actually played this past weekend as well. And uh, Mike Trout had another home run against the against the uh, Mariners rather, and he became uh, the all-time home run leader against Seattle. So, in terms of a uh, list, I you know, I guess it's, I mean it's reasonable to take this uh, leader I'm sure every team has this, right? But it's, I think it's more amplified when we see Mike Trout. He's now hit 53 career home runs against the Mariners, which passed up uh, Rafael Palmero who had 52. So, I believe Rafael Palmero is in the uh, Rafael Palmero, excuse me, is uh, in the 3000 hit club, I think, or that of the 500 home club either way. I believe he's one of the best players in baseball history, right? Um if, if I am something thinking about it, so totally different makes sense that he'd be on this list now Mike Trout uh, passes him up and I mean Mike Trout obviously still in the prime of his career still has a bunch of years left so just puts into perspective I mean he's passed up Manny Ramirez in the past Mark Teixeira Frank Thomas guys who are in the Hall of Fame and guys who were some of the best players and during their time so Mike Trout has a long way to go so who knows how many home runs he's going to finish with against the Mariners but certainly not a certainly a long way to go still nowhere close to finished um, and then as we move over to Saturday June 25th We have one note and a big note as well. My Houston Astros threw a combined no-hitter against the New York Yankees in the Bronx. Uh, Really remarkable stuff. This is something we haven't seen uh, ever hardly against the Yankees. It was the first no-hitter thrown against the Yankees since 2003 when my Astros did it in uh, the Bronx against the Yankees as well back then. So 19 years later, uh, history repeats itself. The Astros did it back in 2003 with six starting pitchers. They did it uh, on Saturday with three starting pitchers, or three pitchers rather, just in general for both of those. But Christian Javier had seven innings and 13 strikeouts he was absolutely tremendous best start of his young career for sure he had everything going and he was dominant and then Hector Neris came in there walked a couple got squeezed a little bit by the home plate umpire but he was able to put up a scoreless inning and a hitless inning and then ryan presley despite blowing the save on thursday and losing that one for us uh, you know was a tough loss on thursday came back on saturday got a one two three in the ninth struck out a couple and uh got that ground out to third for alex bregman to throw over to first and uh the Astros, a combined no-hitter, the 14th no-hitter in franchise history, the third uh, combined no-hitter in franchise history, which is more than any other team's ever had, uh, thir- three combined no-hitters, and uh, it was, like I said, the first against the Yankees since the Astros did it in 2003. It was only the second time since 1958 that the Yankees had been no-hit, and both times it has been the Astros at Yankee Stadium, so really fun stuff. I just I didn't believe that it was actually... I, I would, actually didn't, wasn't aware of it until like, after Christian Javier got done, because, I mean, I don't usually keep up with the games that closely. I get notifications about what's happening, I knew it was a low-scoring game, and it was like one nothing after the seventh inning. And then uh, I went on there. I was like, wow, Chris Javier hasn't allowed a hit yet. And so I was like, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm locked in now, you know, following every at-bat. Kind of came back through the play-by-play and saw how it all happened and how he was just striking out pretty much the entire lineup, having 13 strikeouts, which was a career high for him. He also had a career-high 115 pitches. So he was just absolutely masterful at the bullpen, able to get the job done. And I got the call for it, which uh, which was awesome. And uh, just really some, a special afternoon and one that I won't forget for sure and one that we won't forget certainly an amazing performance by the Astros and you know to do it for the second time now in the last 20 years to no hit the Yankees in New York and to do a and and, and like you said in the combined variety uh, you know back in 2003 that combined no hitter with those six pitchers back then on that day and then on Saturday with three pitchers combining for the no-hitter, and like you said, Christian Javier was just so dominant in this game, and it was amazing because the Yankees have been such a great team all year, and they've been the best team in baseball this year, and their offense has been one of the best in MLB as well, and then Christian Javier went in there, and he's really had a a breakout season for the most part, I think, because he's shown flashes over the past couple of years, but you know hasn't necessarily, I think he's bounced around from being a starter to being in in the bullpen a little bit, and hasn't always had a really consistent role, but this he's been a consistent starter for you guys, and he's been so fantastic all year for the most part and we all know the great stuff that he has and in this game he just had great fastball command his slider was terrific and he was just striking out the world with 13 strikeouts in this game against a really amazing lineup with the Yankees and then you know like you said Naris and Presley finished it off and it was just incredible to see that from the Astros who went into New York, and they split a the four-game series with the Yankees, but gosh, they were really close to sweeping the series, and if it wasn't for a couple of you know, late-inning heroics from the Yankees who have been so good this year at doing just that, uh, but really just a fun series overall. Those two teams, the Ashland and the Yankees, we, we feel like they're probably destined for a postseason battle uh, potentially you know, down the road. If everything if everything works out properly, you would think these two teams could square off in the ALCS, and that would be really fun, but this is just a, a four-game set in New York in, in late June, and we saw a no-hitter thrown uh, by Javier, Narius and Presley for the Astros and that was a really cool thing that we got to see on Saturday for the the third no-hitter this season right in MLB we've had you know uh, Reed Detmers uh, throw it throw a no-hitter for the Angels and he was the only and then we had a combined no-hitter for the Mets and now for the Astros and so only one individual no-hitter two combined no-hitters but still three overall this season that's really cool to see yeah, definitely. And like you mentioned, it was a great series, you know, and the Astros never even trailed at all. Never trailed at one time the entire series was either tied or they were winning and unfortunately lost a couple of walk-offs. So I was playing a series It felt like, you know, he should have won or at least maybe even swept. But you can't be disappointed with the split, it was also like, wow, we played so well and we only split. It kind, of, it kind of gives that vibe a little bit. But the Astros actually have like now, you know, we became an expansion franchise back in 1961 and 14 no-hitters since uh, 1961 is more than any team in MLB history. That the Dodgers have had 12 since 1963, and so if you go back to that kind of perspective, uh, it's, you know the Astros have been one of the best teams at no-hitting teams uh, over the last, you know, 60 years. Now they've been around, and uh, I also wanted to mention that um, it was the. Let me try to see what I was going to look at here, so. Gosh, I have all these notes lined up and I thought I was going to build a work just a little more clean than this, but I'm just like sitting over here watching me. Um, like I said, third combined no-hitter in Astros history. Right? I was the 18th combined no-hitter in MLB history. So something that we've, uh, you know, back in 2003, it was one of the, wait, back in 2003 when the Astros did it, you know, combined no-hitters were still pretty novel. I think we've seen more of them now. I think it's what we're going to continue to see more of moving forward. With Starting pitchers can't go as deep anymore, so you're going to see more and more combined no-hitters. And so this is how we're going to have to see it happen. Yeah. Um, that first Astros no hitter was back in the old Yankee Stadium this was the first one that ever been thrown at the new Yankee Stadium which has been around since uh, 2009 now so but again it hasn't happened very often um, Christian Navier had you know like I said career high 13 strikeouts was actually the most strikeouts that an Astros pitcher has had since Garrett Cole uh, had 14 back in September 24 2019 and oddly enough Garrett Cole was the opposing starter in this game and he pitched really well too um, and so that was really uh, worth noting I mean it was also the most since you know that was like regular season Garrett Cole had 15 strikeouts in game two of the <laughs> 2019 ALDS, so most since then as well. So, uh, but, you know, obviously one of the most dominant performances we've seen from an Astros pitcher in quite some time, you know, for a guy not named Verlander or Cole. Uh, so, pretty remarkable stuff there. And the last thing I was going to say, uh, the last two things, uh, Martin Maldonado was behind the dish, which is important to recognize. The catchers always get forgotten. Martin Maldonado doing the catching in that game, he became the first uh, backstop to catch multiple combined no hitters. Uh, caught one back in 2019 for the Astros when we did it against the Mariners. Uh, and then uh, the Yankees coming into the game had a 732 winning percentage, as you mentioned one of the best teams in baseball they have the best record in baseball still Uh, that was the first time uh, that a team with that good of winning percentage has ever been no hit before and actually I believe going back to a winning percentage of above 691 we just have never really seen a team that good get no hit so uh, like I said uh, the, you know, it's been a great season for the Bronx Bombers but they, didn't, they did not get a hit on Saturday on the wrong side of history as the Astros through combined no hitters so really awesome stuff for me as a fan and I uh, always love seeing no hitters especially when it's your team so really awesome glad to kind of encapsulate that the best we could we didn't want to that wasn't a quick note, and we didn't think it was going to be. Uh, and as we move into Sunday, June 26th, we also have uh, to mention the Astros one more time because they almost did it again, if you can believe that. Uh, but the Astros had a, a no-hitter going again into the seventh inning on Sunday. Uh, Jose Arquiti had pitched um, six and a third of no-hit innings up until a Giancarlo Stanton solo home run broke up that no-hitter. So he was through six and a third. He was eight outs away from firing back-to-back no-hitters for the Astros, which has been the first time it's ever happened against an opposing team. Um, so, so, you know, because we've, we've seen one time ever Johnny Vandermeer for the Reds had back-to-back no hitters, but never seen uh, one team get no hit back-to-back days. The Yankees were, you know, how are they going to, you know, no way this is going to happen again. Uh, they were going to break that up. But going back to Friday, there was a, you know, the ninth inning on Friday was no hits allowed by the Astros pitching staff. So it was 16 consecutive innings without a hit for the Yankees, which actually tied the 1981 Dodgers and the 1973 Athletics since 1961 to go that long without getting a hit. Uh, so the Astros actually, you know, I don't, I don't know if there was any, like, or a third to add on to those ones because this is actually like 16 of the third innings uh, but couldn't get to the full 17 to kind of separate the Yankees from everybody else but still I mean, it's, it's still remarkable just to consider that they went that long without getting a hit. And it's also, um, you know, worth knowing that the Dodgers and the AEW, I believe, both won the World Series that year. So if you're a Yankees fan, maybe this is a good thing. Certainly, uh, that's something to note. Uh, but pretty remarkable stuff. The Like I said, the Yankees ended up winning that game in walk-off fashion. So pretty wild series. Very competitive. One of the best series of the season for sure. Like you said, they're certainly on a postseason track at this point. But still a long way to go. As we move on to Monday, June 27th, yesterdays, we finish up these notes, we have our players of the week from last week. So, um, as for the American League player of the week, it was Isak Paredes for the Tampa Bay Rays, who we talked about last week in that three homer game. He had five home runs last week, nine RBIs, and OPS north of 2,000. So, a ridiculous week for Isak Paredes, and we'll see how much uh, he could. Conti- you know, certainly, we swing the bat this hot. He's probably more be being more of a you know everyday contributor for the Rays, and a guy who play multiple positions. So, we'll see if he continues to come into his own. And we saw Freddie Freeman for the Dodgers when nationally player of the week presented by Chevrolet He had two home runs, 11 RBIs, uh, 1373 OPS, had a great week in Cincinnati against the Reds where he did most of his damage, but did do some good things back in Atlanta for the Dodgers as they had a really good road trip there a really good week. He was a big part of that. And so those were the players of the week presented by Chevrolet. And then uh, we have to talk about last night with uh, Chad Cool, who actually, oddly enough, we ju- we've seen a lot of amazing pitching performances over the last week. Uh, Chad Cool uh, for the Colorado Rockies threw a complete game shutout at Coors Field versus the Dodgers. I mean, just absolutely amazing performance. I mean, you just don't see that. I mean, you don't see anybody you know throw complete game shutout against the Dodgers. We haven't seen that since 2016, um, and so that doesn't happen very often. And then much less for a pitcher to do it at Coors Field in the altitude there in Denver. He went the full nine innings, just a little over hundred pitches. A complete game shutout, just really remarkable. I wonder how much of that was, hey, the Dodgers coming off a Sunday night game against Atlanta that was, you know, a pretty long game. And they had to fly into the altitude and face Denver, you know, face the Rockies in Denver the very next night. Now, I mean, that probably played into a little bit, but certainly doesn't take anything away from Chad Cool, who's had a decent season, uh, has struggled more lately, but man, he was awesome last night. And that has to be one of the most improbable pitching performances I've seen in quite some time. Yeah, definitely not something that you would see coming. I think certainly, uh, I think he's a guy who, like you said, has been decent at times this year. I think he started the year pretty strong, had a few early wins, and was pitching really well early on. And this and this is his first year with Colorado after playing with the Pirates previously. And I think he started off pretty strong, but then you know over the past month or two, I think he's really been kind of average for the most part and really struggled both at home and on the road a little bit, and just has not been very effective for the Rockies. I mean, maybe he had a few decent starts in there, you know, uh, intermittently, but. Certainly Certainly not a, a terrific pitcher so far this season, uh, but he has had his moments, and last night certainly was was one of those moments and was his best start with the Rockies. And like you said, one of the best starts we've seen in a long time uh, to, to shut out a team like the Dodgers, who have been so good this year. And we know how talented they are and how many great bats they have in that lineup from one to nine. Granted, they don't have Mookie bets right now, but they still have a lot of talented players in the lineup. And, uh, you know, he was just fantastic last night. You know, Gavin Lux had two of the three hits for the Dodgers. Other than that, you know, they had one other hit from the rest of the their lineup and so basically everybody struggled against Chad Cool last night he was just really locked in and you know you might make a I think you make a pretty good point about the Dodgers you know maybe having you know having it was difficult for them playing that late that that Sunday night game in Atlanta and the game took forever it took like almost four and a half hours because of extra innings and it was just a really long game and they had to fly to Colorado where you have elevation and the altitude which plays into you into the into it things and you know affects your body a little bit and so maybe that played into it a little bit but again you know you have to give credit to Chad and cool who was terrific last night had everything working for him was efficient effective not a lot of strikeouts but that was okay because he had quick outs and was able to work the entire game and was very efficient doing so so that was a really remarkable performance by Chad cool last night he went there and uh, you know really in the first game of a series against the Dodgers too I mean the, the Dodgers are a team that the Rockies you know I think they beat them in the opening series of the season two games out of three they took from the Dodgers to start the season and I don't know if they played them since then I mean I don't in my mind I don't think they played them very much this year and so it's the first game of a three game set this week against Los Angeles and the Rockies are just trying to hang in there right now they're not a great team they're in last in their division but they haven't been terrible and i think just you know they're just going gonna to continue to fight and to get and for him to give them that type of performance and Game more of this series was really exciting for them and impressive and uh a great outing last night for chad cool for sure yeah just uh really impressive stuff uh, as i mentioned you as well and sets the tone for the series you know it's a great way to get it going so uh, certainly a pitch performance i don't i'm not gonna say i'll never forget about it but you know, I didn't keep up with that closely necessarily, but I knew it was happening once I, you know, I was able to check fantasy. You know, I was going on ESPN fantasy, which was always a good place to check scores for the night. And I was like, wow, Chad was is still pitching. His pitch count's really good. He has a chance to go the distance now. So in the ninth inning, I was keeping up with him. I was hoping that he could do it because that's just really cool. And uh, just as an MLB fan, I wanted to see that happen. Yeah, one more thing also is that he there was a matchup between Chad Kuhl and Tyler Anderson last night. Tyler Anderson was 8-0 with the Dodgers, and he was you know he's a former Rocky, and he's having a great year with Los Angeles. He's 8-0 so far this year. His teammate, Tony Gonsolin, with the Dodgers, he's 9-0 so far this year, and he was actually in line for his first loss of the season on Sunday night before the Dodgers rallied and got him off the hook in the ninth inning. Uh, but coming into last night, I think that you know Tony Gonsolin being 9-0 and Tyler Anderson having a chance to go to the 9-0, they were looking to become like the first two teammates to both start the season nine and since like 1939 I think with the Yankees and I think we heard that last night on Quick Pitch and so you know they they both been really good this year and so you come into the game with Cool versus Anderson and you really don't feel like the Rockies are going to get the win but Cool was absolutely ridiculous last night it was just uh, amazing for them and Tyre Anderson was handed his first loss of the season after getting beat up early in the game and giving up 10 hits on the night and so that was a really impressive game last night for the Rockies and a good win for Cool and the crew. Yeah, absolutely. And then lastly, we saw O'Neill Cruz hit his first career home run. I don't think he hit one in his two games last year, and this is the first of the season for sure, I believe, of his career. And this was a line drive home run in the right center against the Nationals. Absolutely blistered at like a 19-degree launch angle and like 109 miles an hour off the bat, I think. So, I mean, just ridiculous. We've already talked about this guy a number of times in our news and notes sections already. We talked about some of the gaudy stats he put up last week, some of those metrics, and then obviously what it mentioned earlier with the RBI streak that he had to start his career and then hitting his first career home run last night on a line drive to right center. Really impressive stuff. He's got a bunch of great talent. You just feel like this is a guy who's going to be around for a while. Yeah, this is definitely an exciting player for the Pirates who we talked about their young talent last week and talking about how they haven't you know been good for the past couple of for the past handful of years and they've been in a rebuilding state but having a guy like O'Neill Cruz come up here and join some of the other young players they have certainly gives the fan base and the team a lot of excitement going forward and that was quite the home run last night that thing was just an absolute line drive it almost just, you know you don't really see a lot of balls there like line drives to go out to right center like that uh, that certainly seemed like one that was destined to go off the wall but I mean he really just barreled it up and it really just continued to carry and that was really impressive to see you know a 19 degree launch angle go over feet. Was really exciting and uh, certainly an impressive home run for O'Neill Cruz, who continues to do some exciting things here early on in his career. Definitely. And so that wraps up our news and notes, which I. I mean, it's kind of go, this is what we say all the time, too long than we thought it was going to, probably, but it is what it is. Certainly had some crazy pitching performances with the Astros, no winning the Yankees, and the, the complete game shot last night against the Dodgers by Chad Cole and a bunch of cool stuff from Shoya Otani last week and some of the you know all the other things we talked about throughout that news and notes section. So plenty of action we've seen over the last you know, week or so in MLB and certainly a lot moving forward up until the All-Star break. You know, we have uh, Phase 1 of All-Star voting, which ends Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern time, and so that'll be cool to see uh, exactly who advances to Phase 2, and all that really means is like the, the top two vote-getters, or the top vote-getter in each league is automatically locked into the starting lineup, and then after that it's the top two at every position that moves on to Phase 2 of voting, and then uh, in the outfield is the top six that moves on to Phase 2 of voting. Uh, except Unless the uh, top vote-getter in uh, one of the leagues is an Outfielder, and that means that the top four outfielders move on as they fill those last two spots. And so, right now, I believe Aaron Judge is the leading vote getter in the American League, and then uh, Mookie Betts in the National League. We'll see if Mookie loses that because he's hurt right now. Ronald Acuna Jr. is kind of running on his heels. We'll see if that changes over the next, you know, 36 hours, or whatever it is up until Thursday but certainly phase one voting I'll probably s- submit a ballot before I think I'll submit one ballot here in phase one then of course phase two I'll submit another ballot and we'll talk about that more in future episodes here shortly when it comes to the all-star game as we get, get a little bit closer there uh, to the all-star game uh, in the middle of July there in Los Angeles so uh, that'll be cool to see as we've you know phase one voting gets it closer to ending and so uh, we'll see how that goes and we'll see what other kind of news and notes we see moving forward but that's all we have for MLB on this episode we'll move on to golf Probably make this segment quick because there's not a whole lot to say. We don't want to let it drag on because there are two segments were already really long. Uh, but we'll go back and recap the Travelers Championship for a moment. Uh, as we saw, Alexander Shoffley uh, win his first uh, title or first uh, you know PGA Tour event since uh, at least all by himself, I believe, since 2019. So it had been a while for Alexander Shoffley. You know, if, of course, he won that Zurich Classic with uh, with his good buddy uh, Patrick Cantley, You know, a couple you know in uh, early April or whatever it was, right before the Masters. But that was a team event, of course, and they played really well. But it wasn't by himself. Now he's able to go back and win a tournament by himself again here at the Travelers Championship there in Cromwell, Connecticut. And he was really great. Uh, he, had, he was under par. He fired back-to-back 763s to start the weekend or start the, the tournament. So he went into the weekend leading at 14 under par. And this is a guy who had the 54-hole lead as well, had 17 under par. Uh, and that's something that he's never been able to hold in his career. Every time he's had a 54-hole lead in a tournament, he's always lost it and did not end up winning that tournament the following day. But this time, he's able to get that monkey off his back. He fired a 268 on Sunday. Got a little bit of health, uh, excuse me, help there from Sahith Tagala there at late. It kind of swung in his favor. And but hey, he made a really good wedge shot there uh, on that. Or, I mean, I, I think he had a wedge in his hand. But, you know, Really good second shot to get right up on the green there and uh, had an easy putt for Birdie and able to win by a couple of strokes over JT Poston and Saith, who both finished tied for second at 17 under par. So, really great stuff from Xander Shoffley uh, uh, this weekend there in Connecticut. X marks the spot, right. Yeah, definitely good stuff there for Alexander Shoffley. and we talked about the Travelers Championship last week. How it's been a really exciting uh, tournament over the past handful of years. And you know, we were watching the broadcast. They showed some cool stuff that's happened at that tournament over the years. And you know, it's uh, it's always a kind of a. We talked about it last week too a little bit how it's kind of a tough tournament to have to kind of follow up the the uh, the U.S. Open. You know, having being the tournament right afterwards can you know provide some challenges for it. But a ton of great players were still on display in this tournament, and we saw Alexander Shoffley go out there and shoot 19 under for the weekend and get the win at the end like you said and that was great to see for whom for him who as you mentioned had had not won individually on the PGA Tour since 2019 he did win the gold medal at the Olympics uh, in 2021 you know of course they were postponed to 2021 after they were supposed to be in 2020 Uh, so he he did win the gold medal at the Olympics obviously that was individual for for USA but then had not won individually on the PGA Tour in a long time until this past weekend that was good to see for him and obviously he's one of the better players on the PGA Tour and it's a great win for for Shoffley. We saw JT Poston finish tied for second after shooting a 6 under 64 on that final day. He was terrific to get himself some more money and nearly win the tournament. And then see Thagala also tied for second at 17 under. And, you know, I don't know if you, you haven't mentioned it yet, but Thagala really made a late charge there on Sunday, was playing really well. I think coming in that final hole, he was, you know, 5 under 65. Uh, but unfortunately for him, uh, really kind of uh, had a, a bad tee shot on that final hole, uh, landed in the bunk. The fairway bunker there, and then really had a bad lie. Tried to go for it, I think, and then ended up, you know, not hitting the ball well, and then ends going back into the bunker. He had to take two shots out of that bunker. Uh, long story short, he makes double bogey on that final hole and ends up dropping to, you know, minus 17 under. And and then obviously, Shoffler goes out there and ends up making birdie anyways. And so uh, ultimately, it was a, a tough finish for Thigala, who was playing really well in that final day and really had a great weekend. Obviously, still, you know, tied for a second. 17 under nearly one but it did not finish the way he wanted it to and uh, he's a guy who was a very uh, st- a really terrific college career at Pepperdine and has had some good uh, tournaments as of late or has been decent and I think he's a guy to watch going forward because I think he can be an impressive player as we move to the future. Yeah, he competed in the Waste Management Phoenix Open, right? That's where we first kind of saw him on the PGA Tour really have a chance to win. And I think, you know, obviously that was like his first time, I think probably one of, one of the first times at least really competing on a Sunday and obviously didn't get the job done that day. Uh, that was the first win of many for Scotty Scheffler this season. But certainly see so he got learned a lot from that coming into this uh, tournament, having a chance to win on a Sunday, played really well, like you said, just really unfortunate for him on that last hole, not unlike Mito Pereira at the uh, PGA Championship going into that last hole, having a one stroke lead and then all of a sudden just kind of falling apart making double bogey and all of a sudden losing the tournament Uh, this was very similar in terms of you know made that tough shot like you mentioned up against the lip of that bunker and just didn't really have an opportunity to get out of there with a good line and then had to you know like you said take two shots out of that bunker which is not ideal and then he goes from being 19 under par and having a one stroke lead going into the final hole to dropping down to 17 under par and all of a sudden he's you know losing by a stroke to Xander Shoffley has to hope that Shoffley makes bogey or worse and of course like I mentioned Shoffley makes that great second shot you know brings it within 10 feet easily and taps in for birdie ends up winning by a couple of strokes so it kind of took that it was like kind of an anticlimactic end once the guy like kind of messed up that final hole but i'm sure he'll learn from that and certainly like you said a guy to watch moving forward because he really had a great weekend you know shooting 1700 par is no joke and certainly a guy who could compete moving forward Another guy we'd have to keep an eye on moving forward, I suppose, would have to be uh, the person who finished in fourth, the player who finished in fourth, an amateur, Michael Bjorsen, Bjorson, uh, 20-year-old, I believe, amateur who finished all by himself, solo fourth at 15 under par. Uh, he plays for Stanford. Uh, he's a junior there with the Cardinal, I believe. And uh, this guy uh, was terrific uh, on Sunday, uh, and really throughout the weekend. You know, he shot four under on Sunday, but he also put up you know sub 70 scores every single day of the week, and uh, you know he put himself in a position to kind of you know make a name for himself. So moving forward we'll see exactly how much we hear from thor thor Bjornson, excuse me moving forward um but his you know solo fourth is just the 12th instance since 2000 which an amateur has finished in the top 10 in a pga tour event so uh, we haven't seen this very often so obviously congratulations to him it was a great performance and he also became the first uh, amateur this century to finish in the top 10 in a regular pga tour event a non-major with a strength of field at least of at least 400 which uh i don't know that's i don't think that's I'm not really sure what the strength of the field means. That's how many players. It doesn't seem like we'd have 405. That's what it says on here. But maybe that's just, maybe there's some metric or something involved. Who knows? But it was a very good field at the Travelers Championship. And he finished in the top 10. And I, honestly, I mean, I, I mean, obviously he finished in the top 10, but he also finished in the top five. So, um, you know, obviously he can't shorten it short, didn't win, which would have been even more improbable, but uh, certainly really impressive stuff for Michael Thorbjornson finishing there at uh, solo fourth at 1500 par. I don't know if you want to say anything else about that or, yeah, I mean he was terrific, obviously, as you mentioned, and over the weekend having you know shooting four under on Saturday and Sunday, and from a with there on Sunday, it felt like he was going to have a cho- a chance to become only the third amateur to ever win on the PGA Tour, uh, you know, and so it was a. Uh, and I thought for a moment he could do it, but ultimately he fell short, but still an amazing performance by Thorpe Who Like you said, you know, finishing in the top 10 was an incredible feat in and of itself. And so it was a great performance by him. And, you know, like you said, he's in college right now with Stanford. Uh, we'll see at some point he, you would think he gets on the PGA tour. And then, you know, I think we'll remember his name certainly because it's an interesting last name, but also because of what he did here at the Travelers Championship this past weekend. Yeah, definitely. And we're out the top 10 now on the leaderboard. We saw Cheston Hadley finish uh, all by himself in fifth place at 14 under par. He had a 6-under, 64 on Sunday to put himself into the top five. So good for him. And as we round out the top 10, you actually have a number of guys who finished tied for eighth. But we had uh, two players tied for uh, sixth, Keith Mitchell and Kevin Kisner, 12-under par, um, tied for sixth. And then uh, we had Scott Stallings, Brian Harmon, Ches Reavy, William McGirt, and Nick Hardy all tied for eighth at 11-under par. So those are all your top 10 finishers. We got the Travelers Championship. Uh, certainly, like you said, it's a good, it was a good field and it was a good tournament. I didn't watch that much of it necessarily. We were kind of distracted by some other stuff that was on, certainly. But I did tune in a little bit. And uh, you know, happy for Alexander Shoffley. Good for him because he's always been a – ever since I started watching, he's been a good player. And I think there's a lot of expectations You know, because I think he's a top-ten player in the world. At least he's kind of been kind of put in a perspective where he is, you would think, one of the best players in the world. You mentioned he won the gold medal at the Olympics and certainly a guy who's had some success in his career. I think it was his sixth career PGA Tour win and certainly a guy who's had some struggles lately. He has been able to win a tournament by himself, able to get all, get that monkey off his back a little bit, get back in the winner's circle, and certainly build some momentum moving forward to get a little bit closer to the Open Championship, but... Before we get there, obviously, we still have a couple of tournaments to go. We have the John Deere Classic this weekend at TP, the TPC Deer Run in Silvis, Illinois. Uh, should be uh, a good one to tune into for sure as we enter into July. And uh, this is, uh, you know, we only have eight more PGA Tour events, actually, only eight more tournaments until the FedEx Cup playoffs start. So uh, obviously, it's a long season. I think there's like 36 tournaments now in the books going back to when the season started, technically, I believe. Uh, from you know from last year, or whatever. But the, the point is, you know, we're you know entering into the later part. You know, obviously summer officially started last week, and now, you know, we're entering into July. And as we get closer, you know, we have eight tournaments left until the FedEx Cup playoffs. So it's getting a little bit closer. Guys, maybe searching for a win, trying to get up those FedEx Cup standings. And uh, so certainly something to look forward to as we move forward. Yeah, it should be exciting to see how things continue to unfold here as we head into July here this weekend. And like I said, it was a terrific tournament, the Travelers Championship. We didn't watch a lot of it, but we did watch some of it and certainly was fun again. And now we have the John Deere Classic, as you mentioned, which should be exciting here this weekend. Uh, Lucas Glover won at this event last year, and we'll see who all is in the field this week and who takes it home at TPC Deer Run. Uh, and like you said, we're getting close to the Open Championship. You know, we have a, a few, you know, a couple more weeks left before we get to that point the open championship taking place from July 14th to the 17th and we certainly will be looking forward to that you know a lot uh, certainly that's going to be as the last major of the year it's going to be exciting and I think it's going to be one of the more you know enjoyable ones I mean they're all really exciting but this one at St. Andrew's Links, the old course in five Scotland uh, in the middle of July is going to be really exciting and so we're definitely looking forward to that one but for now we're going to enjoy what we have and we'll certainly look forward to seeing we certainly look forward to seeing what is going to happen here at the John Deere Classic over the weekend. Yeah that'll be the 100. 100- 50th Open Championship. Certainly we're looking forward to, but there's still some good golf to be played up until then and still certainly some stuff to, to watch and, and, and monitor moving forward and see who kind of, you know, it's important. Some guys are taking some time off probably up until then. They might not play all these tournaments, but certainly some guys are going to want to try to build some momentum as they get closer to that last major. And again, the Fez Cup playoffs and the standings and trying to get a get, if guys who haven't won yet this you're know, on the tour, certainly a lot of points to be earned out there uh, certainly as we move forward. And so that's all we have for our golf talk and our PGA Tour talk, and we'll go ahead and uh, move on. We'll go ahead and double dupe now and uh, you know a couple quick topics here. But we saw Ole Miss win the College World Series for the first time in program history, so congratulations to the Rebels. Um, they were absolutely terrific in the NCAA tournament. They were a team that barely even got in. They, were, they weren't sure on that selection Monday if they were going to get into the NCAA tournament or not. They were on the bubble, and they were able to sneak in there. They were one of the last few teams that did get into the NCAA tournament. And we saw them take care of business. They had, didn't lose an NCAA tournament game until uh, that uh, game one, or well, it wasn't a game one, but it was the game against Arkansas. You know, we, that was actually happening last week while we were recording. They lost that game, I think three to two, and that was their first loss in the NCAA tournament. They were able to win uh, in the elimination game to get into the College World Series finals against Oklahoma. As we mentioned some of this stuff last week, and then Ole Miss ended up sweeping the Sooners. They came from behind late on Sunday with a three-run eighth inning, and they won the game four to two. And on Saturday, they put on a show. They had like back to back to back home runs there in the eighth inning, I think, which is the first time we've seen that in a college world series game since 1998 with LSU. So, Ole Miss was a team that just had so much momentum. They were playing their best baseball at the right time. Got a great starting pitching. The lineup was coming through in, in big spots as well. They were just such a great team down the stretch. And, uh, and, and so, congratulations to them. Of course, the representatives of the SEC. So we have that to you know, not, not piggyback on by any means, but just it's nice. The SEC is the best conference college baseball, and so it's nice to see a team come out. Uh, the SEC get a championship this season again it was also kind of weird because as an Aggie fan I, I like to say I root for the SEC but because we lost to Oklahoma I wasn't going to care if Oklahoma won because then it's like we it were like a winner you know for, for, for either side that would have won if, if Oklahoma would have won then we could have been like oh you know we lost the eventual national champion but now that Ole Miss won it's like well the SEC won a championship which is always a little bit of a rooting interest for me because it's our conference so either way you know I'm you know, i, you know, I was, I'm happy for Ole Miss they seem like a fun team and a team that's had their heart broken a number of times lately uh, Mike Bianco I believe their head coach has been there for a long time time and they've come up short a lot of times but this year not the case they're the national champions yeah, they were playing really incredible baseball, certainly. And uh, you mentioned how they were on the bubble coming into the NCAA tournament. Not sure if they're actually going to have a chance to play in the NCAA tournament, but the uh, committee uh, got them in there. They were one of the last uh, few teams to make it in uh, to the NCAA tournament. And when they got here, they certainly took advantage of it and certainly were not you know taking it for granted. And they played extremely well the entire time, only lost one game throughout the entire tournament, which is really impressive. And, uh, you know, they faced elimination to try to get to the finals. And they made it happen against Arkansas. or are not... Wait, yeah, it was Arkansas. For some reason, I kind of didn't think I was right, but I was. And so, yeah, they were just terrific. Uh, and their pitching was just di- just dynam- dynamic. So, you know, they were just so terrific. I know that you pointed that out. And we I certainly noticed it, too, that their pitching had just been so good throughout the NCAA tournament and certainly in the uh, college world series, they were just fantastic. And, you know, they held Oklahoma to just two runs in both games of the call of the college world series finals. And so they, they're, they're pitching, you know, I think that's what comes down to sometimes in baseball, uh, you know, who can pitch the best. And especially when you have so many guys, you know, it feels like there's a college baseball, you know, more so than MLB, the, uh, I think a lot there's a lot more offense, of course. You know, sometimes pitchers aren't developed as much when you're in college, uh, but the guys that Ole Miss was rolling out there, they were very good and they were very capable and they were terrific. And when it came down to it, their pitching was the reason I think that they were able to play so well down the stretch. Of course, their offense was really good too, and they were scoring runs very well. But their pitching kept them in a lot of games and helped them to win, and that was what happened. And so ultimately, they were terrific. And like you said, they're playing their best baseball at the right time. They were playing the best baseball out of anybody at the right time, and ultimately it results in a, in their first ever college baseball national championship and now you know you look at the state of mississippi and they're they're ruling college baseball the past two years we saw mississippi state win last year and that was their first national championship in any sport in school history and now this year ole miss gets the gets the college world series championship for their first ever college baseball national championship and so uh it was really awesome to see for the rebels of course you know like you said for us we have the sec to look at and say at least we got elite you know we're part of the best conference in college baseball the conference and once again won it all uh and so we can look at that but certainly just uh as a fan of college baseball in some capacity you know congratulations to Ole Miss for getting the job done for finding a way to get to get there and uh win it all for the first time and in, for, in, for the first time ever yeah and it's also kind of funny that they were one of the last teams in because it's a good thing that the NCAA tournament got them in there because apparently they got it right you know you, you know I don't know if some teams thought they maybe got snubbed and maybe old Miss shouldn't have got it in and obviously they proved that they did belong in the NCAA tournament and they went all the way and won the whole thing so really impressive stuff for Ole Miss as this college we also, this college baseball season comes to a close which is one that you know we both you know, admitted last week we've watched more of and kept up with more than we ever have before you know with our Aggies we were able to go to Blue Bell Park last Thursday and welcome the team back which was really cool to to see and they got a great turnout we got to like you know say great job to some of the players and give them fist bumps to show our support because they were so much fun to watch what do the same thing for Aggie basketball you know when when they came back from the SEC tournament after coming up just short after that great SEC tournament run they they were a little bit different scenario the right for the Aggies SEC basketball for the basketball team at the SEC tournament they were really heartbroken because we knew we weren't gonna be in the NCAA tournament we really felt like we were supposed to be there and so that was a little bit different this was a little more hey we did it more than anybody expected them to but still could be a part of that again I don't know if you have anything to say on that certainly uh that was that was nice to be a part of that but yeah, you, you I did exactly. want to say something else okay. about the College World Series finals though really quickly about Oklahoma you know obviously they came up short but they had a great season too Sort they did amazing things down the stretch and they were a terrific team throughout the whole NCAA tournament and obviously knocked off our Aggies and we were playing really well and you have to give them credit as well uh, and they came up short and you know once again you know they were trying to become you know the first school to ever have the, the to win the men's the women's College World Series and the men's College World Series in the same season but once again that was not able to happen as they did when the women's College World Series softball team was almost unbelievable this year the baseball team tried to get, do the same thing came up short but ultimately they had a great season too and you just have to tip your cap to Ole Miss and how good they were uh, down the stretch to win it all Yeah, I'm trying to remember who the other teams were UCLA maybe Florida I'm not sure exactly but there's only been like three teams now ever to have both their men's uh, the, the, you know, the, the softball team of course the women's college world series and the baseball team and the men's college world series actually get all the way to the final series the women like you said won the men's came up short but hey great season for the Sooners I and mean, I'm surely, certainly they have a lot of hope in that program moving forward and you have to give them credit as well so cool stuff in college baseball uh, certainly nice but it a that more and bring that to the table here on the podcast so we kind of entered into the su- summer months and certainly had the opportunity to talk about that more uh, and one other thing we got a chance to talk about a little bit here down the stretch and we're going to go ahead and put a bow on that as well as the Stanley Cup final finals uh, have reached a conclusion and the Colorado avalanche are the Stanley cup finals champions for the uh, first time in 2001 only the third time in franchise history so congratulations to the Colorado avalanche uh, one of the best teams in the NHL all season long again we're not hockey guys we don't keep up with it very much we don't even know anything about hockey hardly uh, but I did watch a little bit of the Stanley cup finals and it was nice to, be able to kind of see the end of it at least and the, the avalanche scored a couple of goals in that second period and that was the difference in the game as they won two to one they won it all the road against the lightning and 10 uh, Bay not able to complete the three P they came up short. So last year we saw Lightning strike twice, but apparently Lightning can't strike three times. So they came up short, with the Avalanche uh, able to get the job done. So happy for those guys. Yeah, definitely awesome for the Avalanche to win it, uh, you know, for the first time since 2001. And as you mentioned, they, you know, had to go on the road and do it after they failed to win game five, because they did win. I remember we recorded last week, we talked about how game four was getting underway and we didn't really you know what was going to happen. And ultimately, the Avalanche won game four. And so they came into game five at home with a chance to win it right there at Ball Arena, uh, you know, with a ch- with an opportunity to, to host hoist the Stanley Cup for the first time in 21 years. Uh, but they failed failed to win on their home ice and so they had to go on the road and do it in Tampa Bay and they were able to do that, which was impressive. After falling behind one nothing early on, I think they came back in the second period and scored a couple of goals and then ultimately were able to hold on in that last period and prevent Tampa Bay from tying the game at any point. And so it was really a great series. I think for the most part going to six games and here we go again. I told you, I'm I'm am I'm telling you, man, I'm so many games so many, you know, final, you know, seven game series, World Series. The Braves won in six games NBA Finals, the Warriors won in six games, Stanley Cup Finals. The Avalanche went in six games. I don't know what it is, but I feel like every time you get to that final seven game series, it seems like it goes down to six games more often than not. It's just something that I've noticed. I know I'm statistics on it, but I always feel like a lot of the series go down to six games. And it happened again here with the Avalanche getting it done in game six on the road. And uh, you know, like I said, we don't watch and the, hockey the, at all. See so the, the Rams won in six games? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But we uh <laughs> and we, it's kind of funny that we, you know, obviously we don't watch hockey, and I'm never going to get into it because I, I don't have the time for it. I already keep up with uh, NFL, MLB. NBA so much but it's kind of funny when I'm like watching the game and like I'm like hearing like the analysts talk about it and like the broadcasters talking about it and stuff and I just have like no idea what they're talking about like who the, any of the players are like any of the positions that are in hockey or anything like that so it's, it's kind of funny watching a sport that I'm so foreign to because I know like the general like aspects of it even though it's like but I don't know like any of the major details <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like it's just kind of comical uh, watching it but ultimately it was I did watch the end of it and I was you know happy to see the Avalanche Win because I wanted to see somebody else win after seeing the Lightning win back-to-back years. And the Avalanche were the second-best team in the regular season, I believe they had the, the best record in the Western Conference and only trailed the Panthers for the best record overall. And so they certainly uh, were, you know, a team that coming into it could was going to have an opportunity to win the whole thing. And uh, and I think they certainly, you know, did obviously they did that. And it was good to see for some of I'm sure they had a lot of veteran players on that team who had been there for a while and they have some younger guys who came in there and helped out. Uh, but ultimately the yeah, Avalanche had done, and that was cool to see for for them and for their fan base. Yeah, I believe Cole McCarr or Cole Maker is his name, a young player for the Avalanche. He's one of the best players in the NHL, I think. And I think Eric Johnson might have been his name. That was a guy who I think they mentioned. he was been there like 14 years. So, I mean, he's been there for a long time and now able to hoist a Stanley Cup for the first time. And the, I mean, the Stanley Cup, it's like really a great trophy, honestly. It's probably one of the best trophies in sports. I know people always say that all the time. And I'm not a hockey guy, but I, you know, I would appreciate the trophy as well. It's certainly probably the most, one of the most famous trophies in the world, right? Um, and so the Avalanche able to skate around the ice with the Stanley Cup for the first time in over two decades. So really great stuff with the Colorado avalanche. And uh, as we round out here, the double dupe segment, we'll give a happy 22nd birthday to us. Uh, you and me obviously share the same birthday and uh, we, we turned 22 on Thursday, uh, June 30th. that's our birthday. So, uh, looking forward to that to some extent. I mean, it's our birthdays. So they always look forward to, but, uh, you know, looking forward to maybe just last year was our 21st birthday. So we, you know, drink, uh, just, uh, you know, a lot of alcohol obviously. And that was not a, uh, you know, I mean, it was a memorable birthday for sure. The next day wasn't very good. Uh, uh, July 1st is gonna be a lot better of a day this time around not gonna be super hungover It'll be a nice birthday for us We're looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, we started recording this podcast we We're just 19 years old back in the, the spring of 2020 And now as we get closer to finishing up this podcast and uh, and all we've done and get close to 100 episodes Now we're turning 22 here in a couple of days, which is pretty cool I think that's uh, it's pretty special in and of itself Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, obviously your birthday is really important. I'm sure everybody feels that way and uh you know, it's just really thankful to be able to, you know, live another year, you know, to make another trip around the sun, as they say, you know, for us, you know, because <laughs> have you ever heard people say that? Uh, That's yeah. funny the way you said yeah. yeah. And so just thankful for that. You know, last year, like you said, when you turned 21, it was the big, you know, 21 years old, the big, the last big birthday, I guess. And, you know, I had an opportunity to get you know, two too uh, drunk that night, but thankfully we got through it. Uh, Canada Day wasn't very fun the next day, but but now this year I'm I'm looking forward to like a kind of like a normal birthday again, right? We're not going to be doing anything wild or anything like that, uh, and so yeah, just thankful to 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 have made another year uh, around the earth. I mean, around the sun, <laughs> <laughs> around the earth. <laughs> we gotta finish this podcast. We gotta finish this episode, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm getting really long winded. I know. Here. We both were kind of like kind of getting a little flaky here late. Yeah, but just thankful to, to live another year and happy to celebrate that on uh, Thursday. And we'll see kind of how that goes. And you know, It'll just be like the first day that kind of leads us into a nice weekend where we get to enjoy our birthday. And we're going to go back home and spend some time with family uh, as we you know wrap up June and go into July. where We have July 4th obviously happening uh, here in the next week, You know, be next Monday, July 4th. And so that's always really exciting. We'll have uh, just always a great time to celebrate America's birthday. And so we'll look forward to that as well. And so for us, we're thankful for our birthday, turning 22 here on Thursday. And that'll be the first thing that kind of leads into this nice little extended wor- weekend where we can have a good time with friends and family and enjoy it as we get into Monday, July 4th, where we get to celebrate America's birthday. And then, of course, sandwiched in between that, you have Canada Day on July 1st, which uh, obviously doesn't really mean anything to us. But, I mean, they are our neighbor to the north, and so they're celebrating uh, their nation on July 1st. We'll celebrate ours on July 4th, and it'll be a nice uh, stretch of days here for both the nations. Yeah, definitely. I've seen good a mile as well. I'm sure that happened, obviously, a, <laughs> a little over almost two months ago. But yeah, it's all kind of in that same realm. You know, that's cool. Uh, certainly Canada Day on July 1st. And of course, Celebrating uh, America's birthday on we'll do it. We'll do it the, the couple of days before the actual day. I think we'll spend the Fourth of July more recovering than anything, depending on how much we drink. But I think you know, obviously, it's a special time for us here in the states, and uh, getting a chance to celebrate that. Obviously, you know, us the double dupes turning double dupes being twenty-two, and then it's nice that our birthday is not on July Fourth. It's our, I feel like our, I'm, happy, I'm happy that our birthday is kind of like right before July Fourth because it kind of allows us to have a weekend like this, where it's kind of like Thursday's kind of like the unofficial start of the weekend at times. Thursday, Friday, right? But uh, uh, certainly that kind of carries into the weekend, as you mentioned, extended weekend, get a chance to spend time with friends and family and just enjoy life because um, we're all working hard. We all kind of get uh, bogged down in our routines and stuff. It's nice to be able to take a step back and uh, you know enjoy a nice long weekend and just kind of celebrating different things and kind of enjoying ourselves and just enjoying life. So uh, happy about that. Happy to get this podcast done earlier in the week that way you can enjoy all that and come back next week uh, at a good time and kind of talk about everything that's happened. And sports are going to be there. You know, July 4th, uh, baseball over You know, July 4th weekend is always really cool. The Marlins are playing the Nationals in D.C. on July 4th, which seems like it happens every year. But obviously, that's you know, the, the capital of our country. So that'll be cool. And uh, it's just going to be a really nice, fun weekend with everything we got going on, but also the sports world and everything we got going on there as well. So it's just going to be really exciting. And so that's really all we have uh, to say now in the Double Doop segment probably. Uh, I think definitely that covers everything we need to say with this episode. Again, as normal, it's run longer than we wanted it to. And so we need to finish it now, and I'll let you uh, do your thing before you uh, let me recap the rest of the way. This episode certainly has been longer. I think we envision going here just over an hour and a half now uh, on this episode. But I mean, that is just the way it is for us uh, down the stretch. I mean, this whole season's kind of been like that a little bit. and uh, But I think it's still, it's still been a good episode. I think we have certainly enjoyed what we've done here. I think hopefully you all uh, listening enjoyed uh, the different aspects of this episode. So we're going to cover the NBA draft and then talk about MLB news and notes. And then down the stretch, talk about the PGA Tour and then talk about the College World Series, the Stanley Cup finals, and a few other things here as well. I know we have gotten a little bit long winded here down the stretch. Certainly. I think I have, uh, maybe not had a clear path on what I'm trying to say. And so I've been a little bit kind of, uh, just extended in my responses and in my, uh, in my statements, but either way, uh, I think it's been a good episode for the most part. Uh, and I thank you all for listening to the episode. If you listen to the whole thing or if we've or, or listened to parts of it, you know, no matter what you uh, did, I certainly appreciate and I'm tired of as well. Anytime that you spent listening to this episode, because we, you know, put a lot of uh, time into this or, or a decent amount of time into it, obviously. And we, you know recorded and there's a lot of things that go into it so we always appreciate it when you guys listen to it in any capacity whether you listen to the whole thing which i know is uh not easy to do or if you just listen to parts of it we certainly appreciate that uh please subscribe rate and review on spotify or apple podcast or wherever else listen to our podcast we certainly appreciate what you guys do that for us and also please follow us on social media uh once again you can follow me on twitter at 2p underscore austin and on instagram at au underscore 2p10 and i know that tyler forgot to plug his handle last week but i will hopefully remind him to do so this week as he normally does at the end of the episode. And so if you guys do not follow me on my handles or him on his uh, social media handles, then please do that as soon as possible if you want to. And then, yeah, as I finish up, just like always, I'm looking forward to the great week we have in sports going forward. I I do think that things obviously have slowed down. I think you and I have recognized that off air here in the past couple of days. That now that the College World Series is over and the Stanley Cup Finals are over, that there is no kind of ancillary stuff to look at. And now that the NBA draft is over, of course, after the NBA Finals ended, and now things are really kind of just focused on MLB more than anything at this point in time. We do have the NBA offseason, which should be intriguing at times with the summer league action and being able to watch some some of the young guys for our respective teams and action here in the summer league. And then you have the NBA free agency that's getting started here very soon. That is normally pretty exciting, even though this year may not be as rambunctious as we have seen before, but there is still something to look at there. And then of course, to me, the MLB is now in the spotlight firmly as it is the only major sport that is still happening. And uh, in terms of the actual season going on right now, we are right in the heart of it. Uh, We have the uh, all-star game coming up soon as we have all-star voting that's happening right now. And I, I think I should also make sure I get a phase one ballot in here before we get to phase two, and I certainly want to see uh, the players that I vote for getting to Los Angeles for the All-Star game, which is only a couple of weeks away, and I know it's going to be so much fun because I enjoy the MLB All-Star game more than any other All-Star game, and so I'm looking forward to that a lot. Uh, But just right now, looking forward to the the, the MLB action continuing through this week and into next week, we have July 4th coming up, which is like, always a a great day for baseball. You know, I think July 4th is more synonymous with baseball than obviously than any other sport. And the Reds are playing the Mets that day at home. And so that will be a tough test for us on July 4th. But, I'm just definitely looking forward to the great MLB action we have going forward here in late June and heading into July, and then you have the uh, John Deere Classic this weekend on the PGA Tour, which should be interesting, and I'm sure I'll tune that a little bit, and then of course we have our birthday on Thursday, we have July 4th coming up next Monday, and so it's a great time of the year for sports and other things, and I'm just looking forward to all of it here going forward throughout the rest of this week and into next week, and that's pretty much it, so those are the things that I'm looking forward to and excited about going forward, I hope you guys are uh, excited about things uh, on the calendar moving forward as well, because always great, in my opinion, to look forward to what is going forward. I think it's always important to like be excited about what is going ahead in your life and to get excited about things you have going forward in the next handful of days or weeks. And I'm certainly looking forward to all of those things going forward. And I'm excited to get back in the booth, uh, to get back in the studio with you guys at some point next week. I don't know what day it's going to be, but you know it's going to be either Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday of next week when we'll record. And you'll know when it's out there for you guys. We'll, we'll uh, get it out there whenever we can after we get it done. But certainly just looking forward to all of that looking forward to recording next week at some point uh to kind of talk about a lot of things that we'll be looking forward to here in the next week or so and so that's it for me right here on this episode of the double Dupe sports podcast and now i'll sit back to tower to bring it home Yeah, you know, you can follow me on uh, social media on Twitter and Instagram at Tdupe25. Don't forget to plug my handles this time around. And you you mentioned a lot of great stuff moving forward. Uh, You know, obviously MLB is in the, it's an MLB world right now, uh, which I don't have a problem with. I love Major League Baseball. I know you do as well. And uh, I think you guys can tell we do because we talk about news and notes for quite a bit of time every single week. We just really enjoy watching baseball day in and day out. Always excited about something new because every day something special could happen. You just never really know when you get up in the morning what's going to happen on the diamond later that that night all around the country so great stuff moving forward to get closer to the all-star game and you know we got the great baseball the Astros host the Yankees on my birthday which I thought about going to but kind of didn't you know get I wasn't committed enough and then now it's too late to get tickets and uh you know I also have like nosebleeds and like $300 seats and, like skyboxes and stuff so that's not going to happen anymore but I hope I can get to Astros game sometime soon because I would love to uh but yeah, hopefully, we get a win against the Yankees on my birthday. and It's one of those, it's a one game series because it's, it's one of the games that was postponed from earlier this year. We're starting to see you know, more and more of those games that were postponed from that first week where that season was pushed back. You got to get those games plugged into the calendar somewhere else. This is one of those uh, games right here. And so that'll be fun. The Astros play the Royals on July 4th uh, at home. So that should be hopefully an opportunity to get a win. Marlins are off on my birthday. I know your Reds are playing the Cubs in Chicago on our birthday. So we'll see. hopefully, we get some wins. Uh, excuse me, hopefully, we get some wins uh, there on, on our birthday. And on July 4th, is well as we move forward but a lot of great action and like you said we have kind of closed the book on a number of different sports i put a ball on a number of different things uh from major topics to um double dupe segment and then you know obviously we don't have as much moving forward as i said to mlb world so that means our podcast episodes probably won't be as long we certainly hope that the episodes are going to keep, keep to be this long obviously like you said it's been kind of like that this whole season with every single week we're like oh it's too long what that was going to take and maybe we should start expecting it to take a long time because that's just the way it is but you know, next week we probably won't have too much to recap with the NBA, other than what's happened with free agency, if there's anything at all. I'm not really sure exactly what the NBA segment's going to look like next week, if we even have one. Certainly, there might be a chance to talk about it a little bit, but it probably won't be that long, you know. Hopefully, and I mean, NBA free agency, just like any other free agency, is going to last more than just a week. It's not just it's not like the NBA draft where one night everything happens. Now we can recap it. It starts and then the door is open and then people can negotiate forever. And who knows? It might take longer for some pro, for some free agents to sign than others. And so it's not something you can just like uh, recap immediately, you know. So we might not we might not have anything. To talk talk about there we, we may or may not so we'll see about that but um, uh, overall MLB should have more news and notes and maybe a little bit of all-star talk but not really sure exactly what it's gonna look like either but the point is we should have a shorter episode next week for sure just based on the fact that you know kind of by default we'll have as much content to talk about from what's happening over the next week or so but sh- should still be a bunch of great action we're never gonna have an episode next week we know the NFL right now is you know, essentially in that dead area where nothing's really happening other than maybe some you know, some guys who got franchise tag. If they haven't signed their franchise tag yet, that's kind of coming up the deadline to get a long-term extension done and I'll start to play on that tag. So that's one thing that I can think of off the top of my head with the NFL. But that's kind of in this, in that middle area right now where nothing's really happening. And so we might be able to get some NFL talk, maybe some fan questions. Or we might be able to get some fan questions. And with that, maybe it comes more football talk, a bit closer to the fall. But we're kind of in a spot right now where we're, this is our 97th episode. We only have three more to go until we get to 100. And we don't have that so much content left to talk about necessarily but we definitely could do that. We'll have an episode next week and moving forward, because we have MLB around, we'll definitely keep this thing going and golf as well. So uh, this is a pretty good episode for us. Like you said, uh, probably not the you know, at choppy a little bit at times, but I think for the most part we covered what we wanted to cover and we did it in depth. And we did it even more than we probably anticipated. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope you guys join us next week right here on the Double Dupe Sports Podcast. <laughs>